0: This is Karen Hunter and welcome to the hub. Hello, Nubians. We're here live in class with Carr. Uh, episode 103. Wonderful. And uh, 103. Since we last met, um, a whole lot of stuff has happened.
1: It happened. <laughs> everybody all right, your mom and my everybody family good? Well, something yeah. happening?
0: Something, some, something, something's going on in the world. Couple, of few things, What's you know.
1: Oh, yeah, the sister got nominated to the Supreme Court. That, that Oh wait, that's not what you.
0: No. Something else happened. Yeah, something else going on. I think. Um, I'm still trying to suss out. You know, well, it's interesting. So, so you know, Doctor Carr, there. Um, there's this country called Russia, and you know they oh, have this goodness. oligarch. This oligarch, uh strongman, uh dictator who decided he wanted to reclaim his time or his land or what he thought oh, was his the
1: plan. genius, the genius guy, the yeah. one who was Donald Trump. Was Trump yeah, yep, yeah,
0: yep. Yeah. Yeah. And um what I think he, he knocked he, he knocked and then bucked and then oh. yeah.
1: Oh, he's going and for he his going. latest conquest. I, I think he's kind yeah. of undefeated yeah. in wars. I'm thinking about Syria, Crimea. He's a... Uh, He's undefeated so far, huh?
0: Is he? Okay. Well, I mean, every
1: time he's going to take something, ain't nobody stopping. What he? What he take this time?
0: It um this little country. Uh, it's actually a big, big country it's a, with nice people in it. You know, the Klitschko brothers and a whole host of other uh-huh. human beings. Yeah, they're from there. Yep. Uh, I think one of them is the mayor of Kiev.
1: Oh, the you or the big boy?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Lord have mercy.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't want to, you know, make light of it because there's people dying. Uh, yeah, so you know, it's interesting. In fact, um, word, have you had
1: him before? Or interviewed him, Terrell Starr, the young brother.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, Terrell and I go way like before. Most people were talking to, and his name was Russian Star back then. That was his yeah, handle. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, <laughs> I had him on my show seven years ago. We we you know we have him on regularly to talk about this region. And, um, you know, I'm following him and praying for him because, you know, he, he was reporting this morning, uh, standing in line for the grocery store. And he, he said, there's no milk, there's no bread, there's no water. Um, and, uh, the line is all the way out the door. Yeah. So, um,
1: yeah, you shout out to that brother. He talk about fearless. I guess he's not, he ain't hiding. He's, uh, and isn't it funny how the, I'm not started to say the world that's dumb. Uh, how whiteface and commercial media all of a sudden discovers Negroes in moments like this because Terrell been reporting like this for years like you said y'all go back like car seats all of a sudden oh we need yeah because this man is in the line of fire now I hope they won't forget him <laughs>
0: He, you know, he he lives there half the time. Exactly. Like yeah. So that's his that's been his thing. This is what he studied in school. He's been lived in Russia. He's living in Ukraine. He's got a business over there. Um, he's he, dealing in fur and stuff. And um, he said he wasn't leaving when everyone else was leaving. He brought Malcolm Nance over. Malcolm Nance left. He said he's staying because he's got people there that he loves and he's not leaving. And he's also a man of faith. So he's asking people to pray for him because you know
1: absolutely, absolutely, you know, yeah, that's pe- the people suffer right in war one thing is for sure people ain't got nothing to do with it suffer so it ain't it ain't funny at all there's no joking manner that's right that's right. as
0: people as global citizens though, I've been like t- trying to be responsible on my on the airwaves that I've been granted you know and uh, it, and it's interesting somebody called up my show and they said you know there's so many Americans that are pro-putin I don't understand. What how they like an me? American, how an American like you love this country and you love democracy, but you are supporting and you look at Putin as as a ideal leader. There are there's a faction of this of America and, and the world. And I was like, you know, it's interesting. We used to have this exit strategy, we're gonna move to Canada if things go haywire. And then you look up and Canada's got confederate flags and all manner of uh
1: I promise y'all we don't rehearse this. Keep talking, I'm listening. Go yeah.
0: ahead. So, so you so, know, I'm so just, so just moving the sitting, with help. No, so I'm just kind of sitting, like, okay, well, it looks like the continent, uh, Brazil, nah, the Caribbean, maybe Bar- Bar- Barbados. Hey, uh, you know, Tanya Pink is in Pan- Panama. She's making a way there. You know, it's like the the rest of the world's looking really rosy right now. Like, I don't no. really know how to maybe you know put some perspective. But before we get started, let me say. Eternally grateful to you. Not just um, how I process death and ancestors and honoring elders. I've respected elders, but I have a, a deeper understanding of what that process is now and why it's so important to have them and why it's so important to talk with them. And now we're doing this Meta Nature with Dr. Mario Beatty. I and
1: it, y'all talking. I love that conversation. I love it so much.
0: I feel like a, a child in school and everything is new and exciting. So I want to say this to everyone listening right now: Ank Uja Seneb. Ank Uja Seneb. Seneb. I'm gonna put it on the ticker. There we go. Yes. Uh, thank you. And I know how to. I know how to uh, produce that in hieroglyphs now. I know Come how to produce now. my name. I know how to produce. I know how to do all of the alphabet in one day. And he's making us practice. Well, he's homework is practice three times on different days. And we'll come back on Tuesday and I'm already into my second day of oh, no, My handwriting not that bad, so I'm, no, I'm you, really you,
1: it, it improves your handwriting and you can't do it quickly, it slows everything. It's everything, it slows you down, it makes you reflect. And as you all were talking and you all were talking about the nature of the glyphs themselves, it reconnects you to nature, it makes you contemplate the nature of every one of those symbols and what they reflect. As, as you all were saying, unlike Chinese, which may, or, or some of these other script-based systems, which may have started as representations of something in nature, meta-nature remains something like that. I mean, they have hieratic and Coptic, but yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful process. And then it's just, mm, plus in one, in two sessions, when we go to the Nile Valley uh you just robbed all the tour guides of their ability to tell you that's what your name is. No, no, that's okay. When we go in a place to get stuff, people say, I want, I want my name in a chenu, what the French call a cartouche? And here come the people. Well, look, you're in the, I'll do that. And, do, and you just watch them like, what, you can, yeah, this is a different day. <laughs> in two weeks, you say, like, you can write your own name, can't you? Like, well, do this. No, 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 I'm going to do it myself. And when they see you write them glyphs out, the whole relationship changes.
0: <laughs> and it also, you know, that seems so foreign and so difficult and so like, do I need a Rosetta Stone? Like, I, you know, this, it seems so far away. And now it's close. Now it's familiar. Now it is not, I won't say easy, cause we're still learning. No, 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 it's but difficult. It, but, but it's it, not, it's not, it's not foreign anymore. It's like, true. this can be learned that's and true. mastered. That's right. And we're doing that. So that's you. And, 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 and
1: the beautiful thing. Oh, no. Thank you. This is all. I mean, they like say Mario, uh, Obinga, his teacher, our teachers. Um, it's it's difficult, but it's also ours. So when Jacob Carruthers told us that African champions must break the chain that link African ideas to European ideas and speak to our ancestors without interpreters, the the deeper everyone gets into the language. And again, this isn't a corner cut this isn't a and i'm gonna throw a little shade here because it needs to be thrown. this isn't master class where you hear a few people doing a little theater thing and poof poof with some nice but no this is a class this is a step-by-step class and as i said when we first started taking Dr. benga many years ago when you're practicing and it's quiet you're drawing the glyphs they start talking to you you can start you know, as you start learning, and then what you recognize is while the initial steps are difficult, and it's and it's a language, so you got to do some study. As you all were talking the other day, you find out whether or not you know the rules of grammar in the language that you came up with very quickly, and you see how quickly English falls apart. But this is the point I was about to make. For people who are ebonics proficient, and of course we know, in fact, let me show y'all something. This is one of my, uh, I hadn't even planned on Actually, do I have it? I usually don't keep... Excuse me, Malcolm, just for a second, brother. Yes. Yes. Robert Williams, who recently made Transition. I actually was friends with Alice Windham. This is uh, one of my prized possessions. This is called Ebonics, The True Language of Black Folk, edited by Robert L. Williams. Robert Williams is the brother who we talked about a couple of weeks ago who uh, created the the uh, <laughs> the, the test that's the, called the B-I-T-C-H test. Um, basic intelligence test, uh, cultural, uh, what was it? I forget the the acronym, anyway, he's a trained social scientist, PhD, for many years, uh, Washington University in St. Louis, one of the founders of the Association of Black Psychologists, and I resist the urge to go climb over into that library bookshelf over there and pull out the history of the Association of Black Psychologists, edited by Robert Williams. But this is a book he edited in 1975, three years after they had a meeting of the association of black psychologists and understand there are two categories of these professional academic associations when it comes to black people there are the white professional associations that black folk were either excluded from or not invited to in any uh, in any robust fashion that they particularly after the death of martin king in 68 began to form their own uh caucuses in so the ALA, the American Library Association had a black, has the Black Caucus, the APA, the American Psychological Association has a black caucus, uh, the National Association of Social Workers has a black caucus, uh, the American Historical Association, so forth, you get the idea. But then they also formed, and some of them predate '68, their own professional associations. So while the the NEA uh had its own white bred uh professional association of teachers we've talked a lot about the the um, american teachers association we've talked about um you know i'm thinking about the professional association books i have over there but they had the black folk had their own association teachers and education association well the same thing for the uh the african studies association had it and then in 1968 the black folk walked out including the man who was on our uh hoodies and sweatshirts this morning the great john clark who we are going to talk about in notion of ukraine here he is right here john henry clark with the Nubia joint. we're very happy about this you know you're ready to be getting in there we are we rocking oh you got to join with his words in the back no question the great john clark um helped manage that departure and that was the birth in 1968 of the african heritage studies association the ahsa still robust still going from strong, uh, strong my dear friend and sister professor uh, we all came up together. Uh, Dr. Afia Zakia is the, is the recently elected president of the HSA. Well, the same thing. You you have the National Association of Black Social Workers. Um, you have the um. Well, there, there are a lot of different ones. You you name it. You go through the different professional associations. These are academics. And in the case of the psychologists, they came together and and put something together called ABC. Some of y'all are members of ABC, the Association of Black Psychologists. Robert Williams was one of the founders of ABC. And in 1972, at a Side meeting, they decided to come together and craft a way of discussing the way we communicate with each other as people of African descent globally, that reflected the genius of what we had to do over the last 500 years, which was take those thousands of different languages that we were speaking and we're not aware of each other speaking before we were stuffed into boats and cast adrift across the Western Hemisphere and then forced to learn the languages of settler colonialism. Shout out to Vladimir Putin, we coming to you because see what you're doing may facilitate the acceleration uh, of the finally the end of European empire. But we'll see, as Sam Cooke says, it's been a long time coming, but the change is gonna come. So we were forced to learn those languages, English, French, Dutch, Spanish, Portuguese, all those languages, right? But we didn't lose the underlying rules, the deepest rules of many of our languages, plus we retained some of the words, the long words I wish yeah, let me see, yeah, I'm going to show y'all something I showed y'all a couple of weeks before because I just recently because I got my hands on this a little while back. That's kind of my quasi-ebonic shelf, a few of the books I have on by. This was Sonya Lane Remember, I showed y'all the Oxford Handbook of African American Language, and what they say in here is that they are not. Calling what they're doing in this massive tome, Ebonics. They say we respect Ebonics, we understand its arguments, but this book is distinct in the sense that we are not. We're looking at. Uh, we're not. We're not saying that Ebonics is. Um, is not academic. Or an academic use. It's not a. Um, they, they call it African American language to refer to all variations of language use in African American communities, recognizing that there are many variations within the umbrella term, which includes Gullah, AAVL, which is called African-American vernacular language, for example, or English for those who prefer the term. Uh, They go on, regardless of which term researchers use, they all refer to a language variety that has systematic phonological, which means how things sound, morphological systems of structure of words and relationship among words, syntactic systems of sentence structure, semantic system of meaning, and lexical, structural organization of vocabulary items and other information. It goes on. It says, however, AAE is not slang, broken English, bad English, any of that. Now, here, section 2.2. You see, it says a a note on Ebonics. This is what the editors say. The term Ebonics, which was coined by Robert Williams in 1973, or the meeting, I think, was 72, but not to quibble, but which received considerable attention in 1997 during the Oakland School Board case has been left off the list of labels, AAL, listed above, as Williams intended the term to cover, here we are, the multitude of languages spoken by black people, not just in the United States, but also those spoken throughout the African diaspora. For example, in the introduction to Ebonics, the true language of black folks, man, I wish I could get that book, wait, ooh, (laughs) yes, okay. We continue, Williams defined Ebonics as, quote, the linguistic and paralinguistic features which on a concentric continuum represent the communicative competence of the west african caribbean and united states slave descendant of african origin it includes the various idioms patois argos idiolects, and social dialects of black people especially those who have been forced to adapt to colonial circumstances as i said english french dutch spanish portuguese those languages ebonics derives its form from ebony black and phonics sound the study of sound and refers to the study of the language of Black people in all its cultural uniqueness. End quote. The view of Williams. Now they come back. Here's the editors of this book, the Oxford Handbook of African American um, Language (AAL). Notice now, because in a minute we're going to talk about Ukraine. Notice this is where the political distinction is going to come in. Hadn't thought to do this this morning, but since you mentioned metanet with Dr. Beatty uh, and and the, and the class that we now have in Nubia every week um, on Tuesdays, where um, it's Tuesday, right?
0: Tuesdays at 10. And I I just wanted to add one more caveat. As he was going through the alphabet, you know, of course, I had a question. Why not A, B, C, D, E, F, G? And he said, why A, B, C, D, E, F, G? Right. That was arbitrary. And I never thought about it. it like, it's it's, arbit- it's arbitrary that it's they, put arbitrary. In- they put those letters in that order. Exactly and I right. was like, well, I thought that that was the right way all of this time that that was the order of letters see how, how ignorant and i, I was like oh. yeah no, no. Yeah, yeah that's right everything framed through that through that lens and in, until we can break that up and realize that that order is not right just because it's the way we've been taught oh that- that there are other ways to do things. And actually there were ancient ways to do things. And all they did was like borrow and steal from other people and then decide, okay, we're going to write, you know, instead of right to left, we're going to write left to right. And then we're going to drive on the other side of the, you know, you're driving on that side. So they their goal, I guess, is to flip everything and make it wrong and then say it's right. Oh. And then teach everybody. I don't know. I feel like and that was one of the breakthroughs for me on tuesday tuesday at 10 a.m uh in nubia we we have uh dr meta metanetra class but for me it was like everything that i've been taught i really have to re-examine including the damn alphabet
1: that's what it does so thank you you. no 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 thank you no and that's the beautiful thing because we're not gonna throw the alphabet away see this is the challenge and here therein lies the This is the this is the true challenge for us in terms of intellectual work. What you just described is absolutely perfect to think to think to use it to think through. The alphabet doesn't originate with the Phoenicians; it doesn't originate with those who came after. The alphabet, and you know Cornel West often I've heard him say this. I heard him say this many many years ago, around first time that, that met the brother. You know cultures bleed. When you're around people who do something you don't do and you're around them long enough, you start learning how they do things and it will affect how you do things. It will also, to the point you just raised, it will make you conscious of the fact not only that you do things differently, but that how you do things and how someone else does things from a different culture are two variations on a broader concept, what people might call a meta concept, meaning what? The concept that people do things based on their culture. If we are not aware, it's like standing outside yourself. You know, Du Bois is writing about that in Souls of Black Folk in a way. He says, Black folk in the United States, we know what we do, but because of the oppression, we have to know what you do, which means we are conscious of who we are and we're also conscious of who you think we are. We have to be in order to survive, that double consciousness, so to speak. And he says, you know, we're able to move forward because we are in one dark body whose dogged strength alone keeps it from being rendered asunder. In other words, we don't, well, some of us anyway, don't think we're white. We know we are black, but we also know what you think about us. So we have to move in that way. Now, what whiteness does is uh, relieve in a hierarchical sense, relieve the person who sees themselves as white from ever having to think about the non-white because they don't have to move in the world with a consciousness of what that non-white person thinks because that non-white person doesn't have the power to exert authority over them. Um, This is is the work of Francis Cress Welsing, the the pioneering uh, scholar. The the Crest Theory of Color Confrontation and Racism, one of the theses of which is when when there is an awareness from whiteness that its status is being threatened, the response is violence. That's what she calls color confrontation. That's her broader thesis. And the thing that cracks me up about uh, Frances Crest Welsing is she's been an ancestor now for a few years. Is that all this anti-racist work that people are making millions of dollars going around with this diversity and equity training and all this blah, blah, Blah. (laughs) All the stuff that they're doing, you know, for profit, for kicks and profit, ain't ain't moving the needle on nothing, but, you know, they're getting famous, this kind of thing. Feel pretty good about themselves, I suppose, until late at night, there's nobody there to talk to but yourself, and you realize, you know what it is, you know what it is, you know what it is. Anyway, how much of it is claiming to pioneer theories about the nature of whiteness? that Frances Cress was writing about in the early 70s. And yet the condemnation of Frances Quest, was Wilson, for those who know her, as a punchline, it just makes you w- realize that what we're really talking about is power. But anyway, to walk my way back through it, the, the alphabet then is a form of uh, cultural crafting that bleeds over from previous iterations of script. So, as you were talking he said a b c d e f g you asked mario well, why he says well why that immediately creates a situation where okay we can think about scripts as just one form of human communication and one is not better than the other it depends on how effective it is how it connects the language and in the case of the alphabet or the alphabet, or have you want to look when you look at the uh the greek alphabet which i'm cracking up because anybody who plays the greek little organization had to learn the damn greek alphabet you know, so alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon. let me not, cause that will trigger a trauma in my mind. But anyway, P, Q, oh, no. but when you then look at the kinetic, uh dictionary, this is for example, this is Raymond Faulkner's uh, concise dictionary, of middle Egyptian, one of the tools that we use to learn Meta nature. When you look at the alphabet and if I had, let me see. Oh, okay. And I know Mario's the Allen. Y'all using Allen. The one we all learned on was this one, Egyptian grammar, Sir Allen Gardner. I'll use Gardner as the example because Gardner has it right there at the top. Uh, let me see. Um, let me see. Lesson one. Yeah, here we go. See, Gardner has the alphabet, but he's got the glyphs, the signs here. So the first sign that you have in the alphabet which allows you, it can so-called comedic alphabet, so-called because they wasn't using that term. He organized. Uh, now Faulkner organizes his like this. If you were to go into Faulkner's dictionary, concise dictionary of Middle Egyptian, what you'll see is all of the glyphs are lined up here according to this lining here, which is arbitrary. But since people knew, since people know this second column, the alphabeta. That's what you call transliteration to get the sounds. And, you know, Mario's teaching all this. So if you go over here, the first one they got lined up, since people know A, the sound is ah, It's a short A. This is the Egyptian vulture. And you see the sound. Then he gives you the sounds. go, So you go on down through, right? Now, the next one is not B. The next one is I, the flowering reed. And that's what y'all learned, because you can do your name now, which means y'all practicing what they call the uniliterals. Each one of these signs has one sound. A few of them are soft constant So why did I go through all that? I went through all that to say that the sounds represented by each of the 26 characters in the alphabet we use some of them are derived from natural occurrences, whether it be animals, whether it be plants that people before they got reduced to that used to signal not only signs, but concepts. And so that now what we have over the arc of millennia of of migration, adaptation, improvisation from different cultures and different groups. This, by the way, is one of the ways that we know that the people of the Nile Valley deeply influenced what we call Greek culture. Um, uh, George GM James, the Guyanese scholar writing in the 1950s who wrote his famous book, Stolen Legacy, would say that, you know, they stole it. Although he's kind of, not really. I mean, he's kind of saying, you know, because because as Cornelius said and others, cultures bleed. So it's not theft as much as it is influence. What you're really seeing is the influence of Africa. This is what Howard French writes, is writing about centuries afterward when he writes in Born in Blackness. But we're going back is the origins of humanity. Egypt, not just Egypt, but Africa, Inner Africa influenced the whole world, including the alphabet we use. And so anyway, I I still have to say that. So let's fast forward. When Robert Williams and his crew get together in St. Louis, and they have this meeting at the Association of Black Psychologists, which as far as I'm concerned, are the governance formations in academia. The the Black caucuses of the white uh, professional associations are important. They do important work. But they're also tethered to the social structure the black organizations that still many of them are members of the white associations and attend the black caucus meetings so there's a lot of bleeding back and forth and going on and that's and that's beautiful you want that but those black organizations that were founded by black people for their own purposes those are the governance organizations and so when they were at the association of black psychologists meeting and they come up with the term ebonics as we just heard defined ebony phonics let me finish with what uh, what they say here in the Oxford. uh, the Social Structure Handbook of African-American Language. The view of Williams and other Black scholars included in the 1973 conference was that the language of Black people had its roots in Niger-Congo languages of Africa, not in Indo-European languages. However, and then it goes on, goes on, goes on. But this is what they say. What they say is that they are not discounting that. In fact, what they say is that the ongoing research on the origins of African-American language is evidence that those working in this area are not oblivious to claims about African and Creole contributions. So what they're saying is we're not researching the African contributions. We're not researching the Creole contributions. The precise nature of the relationship between African American language and African languages and Creoles is a topic of continued investigation. In addition to appropriate naming and delineation, scholars continue to engage in rigorous research that presents accurate descriptions that provide further insight into the origins of language in African American communities. Now, i'm going to reduce what that just said to three words for us that too hard what you talking about that too hard that too hard for us so if you want to hmm, come on son i thought i had it i thought i saw it i was looking for something else the other day and i moved it around but Lord have mercy, I don't see it. I was looking for my Gullah Bible. Anyway. You have a Gullah Bible? Oh yeah, the Gullah Bible, because Gullah people, there's this international Bible. Oh man, <laughs> let me say. Right. <laughs> no, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna keep talking, because I'm looking around here. There's an international, there you go. There's an international Bible
0: oh. uh, group that, <laughs> undefeated you know where your stuff is <laughs> yes lord
1: got to including got to. all of it damn near except these few things this right here this the new testament <laughs> You <understand? laughs> this is the new testament new testament in Gullah, sea island creole with marginal text of the king james version so let's go to uh matthew Matt no no let's go to luke luke verse five this uh The first couple of them follow Jesus. One day, <laughs> Jesus been going to stomp upon the show to Lake Guinness read. All the people crowd about, mm, for your God would. In other words, all the people came about to hear the word of God. This in got, gu- now, if they, because these white people came to Seattle and said, we want a Gullah Bible. Who do they have to rely on for the translations? The Gullah people. Who knows gullah and european english the gullah who knows english and not gullah the white people just do voice point we had to learn theirs but if you want to learn ours you got to come and guess what it's a language these fine scholars these first rate scholars who put together this huge oxford handbook of african american language this uh 900 page book as far as I'm concerned, and it's an incredible book. It's an incredible contribution. A lot of I mean, yeah, every time I open another page and keep reading, I'm learning something new because I'm not. Where,
0: where did you get a Gullah Bible?
1: Oh, you can get it. I knew they exist. In fact, I got another one. This you got gospel. more than one. <laughs> well, no, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a, there's a shorter version of this one, and I don't know what I did with that one. That's I think All that's right. over there. But the point is that once you become aware of it, I go looking for it. So. That's why anybody, you know, the chief work of a teacher. There are two chief things. You got to listen. And then you have conversation. So I'm constantly listening. Don't make no straight remark about something existing because I'm going to go look for it. <laughs> so years ago. I found out, and in fact, I was revisiting that because I have uh, international American Studies students using the History Makers database. And of course, Larry, I want to say Larry Crowe, interviewed the brother who at that time was over the Penn Center. If if you've been to the Penn Center, we had to go to the Penn Center.
0: Yeah, we have to field trip.
1: Yes, we got to go. Yes, in South Carolina. I've been there. In fact, first time I went down there was for 1996 for a meeting of the Council of Independent Black Institutions. That's another black institution uh, at at the invitation of Baba Hannibal at Freak, Mashriki Juwanza, all the crew at CB. CB is the independent black schools. Some of them go back to before the 1960s. But I'm thinking about, you know, all those schools, you know, those places where as a child you may have learned African dance or if you were fortunate enough. Uh, like my brother Sharif El-Meki in, in, in Philadelphia, who now runs the Center for Black Educator Development, recruiting black teachers into the pipeline, building that black t- educator pipeline. Uh, shout out to Shana Terrell and all them just passed their first anniversary of her podcast. I was on there on Thursday, um, building the black educator pipeline. Uh, Sharif grew up in one of those African-centered schools. He went to one of those schools in Philadelphia. His mother, uh, who's now ancestor, very important educator in that. But anyway, they had their meeting in, in 1996, at the Penn Center. And so they asked me to come down and, and give a talk. And I would say, of course, I'm honored, Baba. So we drove down from Philly. We drove down. And we got there just as it was turning dark. Now, this South Carolina, and we're in Gullah territory now. So we just stopped at the gas station to make sure we knew where we was going. It's long before these cell phones. Now that's where you could just, you know, let's say, uh, brother, we're we going to the Penn Center tonight. We we, we think we're going the right way. It's right. Uh. We think we are close, and we think we you know, we just stopping to make sure. You know, black folk. we stop, we make sure. So, the brother's like, "Yeah, you almost there. Go down there, I make that turn right there. We go down that so road there. Go to minute." I said, "Yeah, we in the right place." Now, I didn't grow up speaking Gullah. I'm no Geechee, but I speak Ebonics, which means what? I could follow you enough that I know exactly what you just said. Enough to get there, cause I knew where we was going. But to hear him, that lyricism, that music, what Robert Williams says, what these fine scholars, uh, linguists are saying that it's too hard for them to do. And they're not disrespecting it. They say, we now we just have to do it and have research. Everybody calm down. You know what you start the research? With your mom and them. Because <laughs> <Me. laughs> they ebonics. And guess what? Start by looking in the mirror. Because you're probably an ebonic speaker too. Because guess what? If it's cold outside in the Ukraine, you would think the Ukraine is cold, cold, but it ain't. It's cold. Now if you speak Ebonics, you know what I just said. If you don't speak Ebonics, you're lost. Let me translate. The, the the Ukraine does not have arctic winters like we think. It may get down into the teens in the 20s in the winter, but it's southern. You know, the bless you know, and we'll, we'll, I'll show you a map in a minute. But if you speak Ebonics, you know when you say cold cold, that means it's cold cold. <laughs> you know what I'm saying that doubling isn't slang. And oh, oh, you mad, man. <laughs> in other words, you have to now that doubling is a feature of some Niger Congo languages. What didn't survive was the word, but what did survive was the grammar rule. And what Williams in there is saying is, we never stopped being Africans. And, and so, and then not they're not denying that people who are dealing with African language, what they're saying is, now I'm just going to show you this right quick. Here is the table of contents. Historical sketch of black English, look at black English, black children and the language arts, a call for reform, black language and what to do about it. Some black community perspectives. That's the man, Orlando Taylor, great scholar. He was at for a Harvard number of years as a dean. Teachers attitudes toward black English the struggle to know the struggle to survive black English, surviving the bastardization process. Then Ebonics for what? A case history, my man Ernie Smith, metaphor, black discourse style, cultural reality, the effects of language on the text performance of black children, developing cultural specific assessment devices, an empirical uh, rationale, and finally disentangling the confusion surrounding slang, non-standard English, black English, and Ebonics. Conclusion. Now, this is 1975. Yes, 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 yes. So, Professor Hunter, that's right. Let's 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 do the exercise. So if you want to call somebody crazy in Ebonics, how would you say that?
0: Oh, they doing it in the, in Nubia. Cray cray.
1: Cray cray. Exactly. Ebonics speakers, please understand. Is now now here's what the thing now now Williams and them were not at this stage in 1975 because in 1970, mm, nope, not gonna go over there. No, <laughs> Because in Black Book's Bulletin in 1975, I want to say it was 75, two scholars, several scholars, but I'm going to name two. Jacob Carruthers and the great Joseph Ben Levi wrote articles. I want to say Ricketty Wimby is in there too. That David, who is a uh, and uh, Ben Levi st- are still alive. In fact, they just had the Jacob Carruthers conference last Saturday. When I left here, I went there without leaving the chair, which is you know, I don't know how we're gonna fix that. But anyway, um, maybe it don't need to be fixed. We're in a new era now. We've been jailbroken this thing because you can't be in Chicago and, and somewhere else at the same time. But anyway, they wrote articles on the power of Egyptian language. So in 1975, this is just after. Carruthers has gone to Senegal to see Shake Out the Joke, who tells him, you know, you've got to study the ancient Egyptian language. When you study the ancient Egyptian language, everything else is going to open up. That is the foundation for us rethinking how to break these chains. See, Williams and them, who published his book in the same year, are not yet making that connection. That's why they're going to connect it to West Africa. You see where I'm going with this? Oh, the The Egyptian language isn't just about Egypt. Isn't just about East Africa because the Egyptian language develops in, in near Central Africa and then comes out with the white with the with the with the White Nile and then the Blue Nile connecting from Ethiopia, and also not to mention the areas that become desert to what we would say is the West coming in from the Libyan desert. Those languages commingle and over the centuries they began to come into existence as, as they come up the Nile Valley or down the Nile Valley and empty into the Mediterranean, what we now call Medunetra. Medunetra isn't just about Cairo and about Giza and about pyramids and temples. It's about culture and language that comes from inner Africa. Well, guess what? Those people who came from inner Africa going way, way back, to use Yabani's term, they also migrated across other places of Africa. So if you are a tree speaker, if you speak Yoruba or Igbo, if you speak Ibani, if you speak uh, Wolof, if you speak Kikongo languages, if you speak Mboche, if you're uh, the Abubundo people, even if you go further south into Africa, turn that way, whether it be through the Mfakani or before that. So if you're an Nguni language speaker, in other words, if you speak uh, Kosa or, or Sotho or Zulu or Swana, then You are likely going to see cognate, in other words, similarities that are more than just incidental in the Egyptian language. Now, this is what our friends who write on African American language are saying. Well, we're not saying that's not true. We're just saying we don't do that. And what I found is that's the this too hard work, but that's the only work that's going to free us. This is where. The very valuable contributions of everybody writing about African American history and culture, that begin with slavery, as this man said, "You start your history with slavery; everything since then looks like progress." But as you're studying Metanecty, what you realize you've broken through that. And the people who would say, "Oh, why y'all talk about ancient Egypt? Yeah, well, we came from West Africa." They've opened their mouths in the words of Catherine Hayes Carr and put their entire brain on display. The whole point is, just say you don't know. Just what these people did don't speak with authority about things you've never thought about because when you begin to think about them you will realize how wrong you were now of course and this is why i want to i'll pause here now and keep going because believe it or not a great deal of this is going to overlap with the ukraine in a minute but uh <laughs> through the s word and we didn't rehearse this so uh you mentioned canada in a minute that's in the front of my mind this is the. uh This is the chapter, the effects of language on the test performance of black children. This is when Robert Williams and them said, we could make up a test using the cultural difference model that we could ask white children answers, things that they could not learn or they didn't know. And if we did that, in fact, he's got this third section called school as failure model. In other words, they're trying to say that children come to school with a uh, with a deficit. That's how they get these black children. You didn't come with a deficit, you come with the language of your community and you come to school and they wanna teach you an additional language and in te- instead of respecting the language of your community and saying, now let's build on that by connecting this to another language, what they say is you're wrong and we're here to civilize you. Civilization is a very important concept when it comes to this S word, sovereignty. we we'll are gonna come to that in a second, but watch this. Let's see. Watch this. Here are a couple of test items they began to play with. They brought these black children together. Here's one version of asking a question. Space. Mark the toy that is behind the sofa. That's one way of asking these black children. The children is like, what what might a black child what might cause a black child to pause with that question? What term? Sofa. What's a sofa? Robert Williams said, "Watch how we gonna fix it. Mark the tortoise in back of the couch. Oh, right there. The white in back of, in back of the couch. That means behind, right? In just that split second that it would take that non-ebonic speaker or child who wouldn't know that that use to work through it and still get the right answer. That's five seconds off the clock. Now they're looking up." They got 2 minutes left and 10 questions left. The panic sets in. The whole point of standardized testing, you're not assessing intelligence. What you're assessing is cultural familiarity. You and and the and what you've taught the children, it's very important. I, I mean, I love it. Uh look. Time. Mark the boy who is beginning to climb the tree. Slight shift. He body speaker. Mark the boy who is starting to climb the tree. From beginning to starting. Starting, that's not grammatically correct. No, starting isn't grammatically correct in European American English as you use it or language as you use it. But in says, I'm fitting to go. Fitting to? What's fitting uh, Look, I'm fitting to tell that joint, if they don't fix this other joint, me and that joint are going to have beef. I don't understand a word you said. Right. And y'all are stupid. Right. Speak English. Mm-hmm. You see how the thing quickly devolves? What they're talking about is power. Language is power. And when you force somebody to do another language, or you tell them, for example, that their language is inferior, let me put this back where I got it from, so because I don't want it to get swallowed up in the, and then I'll be looking for it. Put next to Lisa Green's African-American language and next to my man, Clinton Crawford's Ebonics and language education. Um, Language isn't just about culture. Language is also about authority and power. Let me just put a Ukraine marker down and keep going this in a second. When you go to eastern Ukraine, those two, quote unquote, breakaway republics that have declared themselves independent from Ukraine, the ones that Putin claims after saying he would not do this a few months ago, that he's coming, the Russians are coming in to defend because these are ethnic Russians. And though, in fact, I was just rereading a couple of years ago, I read this book, and it's actually pretty good if you just want a non jargon, non political sense of what's going on. This is Erica Foutland's book, The Border A Journey Around Russia Through, and these are some of the countries that Russia borders. North Korea, China, Mongolia, Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, Georgia, Ukraine, Belarus, Lithuania, Poland, Latvia, Estonia, Finland, Norway, and the Northeast passage. And just to give you a visual on that, there's Russia, biggest in Eurasia. And on the black at the top, that's the border with the water. All the way over. You see? (laughs) You see where Finland is over here? Mm. You see that right there? And When you come over the other side, now you're dealing with China. There's China's border. You see China's border with Russia, Mongolia's border with Russia, China again, then Kazakhstan over here. And if you go right here, you will find what? North Korea got a border with Russia and there's Japan right across the sea. Oh, and if you get real cute with it and go to the Northeast, yeah. Remember when Sarah crazy ass Palin said, I could see Russia from my house. And everybody laughed at her. That's the Bering Strait, yo. Alaska right across the street. Not that she could, I'm just saying. So you're going from Finland to across from Alaska. St. Petersburg borders on Finland, Estonia, Latvia. It doesn't border on Lithuania, but only by a little Belarus is there. The Ukraine, Moscow is close to Ukraine. The central federal district is where that is. Now, I'm going. we're going to talk about all this in a minute, but I'm saying all that to say that in this book, what she says is she traveled through all these places. She said, I'm going to go and deal with Russia. Her, her first book on this subject, uh, Soviet Stein, kind of talks about the history of this attempt by the Russians to create this Federal Union, uh, and it goes back. Um, we're talking about back, back. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what she does in this book is, I'm just going to go to all the countries Russia has a border with. I'm never going to set foot in Russia to see the impact of Russia. And when she gets to the Ukraine, she's got a fascinating chapter in here. I had to dig this book out. I was glad it wasn't in storage. The youngest breakaway republic in the world. This was was she I think she published this book in 2017. Yeah, 2017. The youngest breakaway public in the world, 374. Keep ebonics in your mind because we're going to make the connection right now. They pull up at the border. They got to have three different types of identification. When they're coming out of Ukraine, they got one form. When they put up their stuff now, because they're getting ready to go into the, uh, Donetsk, that's one of the two, Donetsk People's Republic. You got to show Donetsk papers. They don't want to see no damn Ukraine. You'll get killed messing around showing them some Ukraine shit. And so as they go, in fact, he says, hide your Ukrainian passport now, Dima said, as we report, approach the first roadblock. If the wrong person sees it here, we could be arrested. You need your Donetsk accreditation here, okay? So then they go into... Donetsk which is part of Ukraine but who lives there a lot of Russians. See, and here I'll pause to give a little bit of history about the Ukraine. The Ukraine is uh it was never as a as a as a contiguous entity, as a sovereign no, sovereign, I'll come back to that in a second. As a country, let's just say as a country. It has never had less than 70 percent ukrainians uh at the height of soviet domination and soviet domination is something that really has extended really from 1922 right after the Bolshevik revolution they start building this union of soviet socialist republics so from 1992 to 1991 the so-called fall of the soviet union the ukraine was known as ukrainian soviet socialist republic Remember the USSR, Union of Soviet Socialist Republic. Ukraine was known as the Ukrainian Socialist Republic, Soviet Socialist Republic. Right? But they still had majority Ukrainians. From 1991 until now, that number, which was never below 70%, has risen. So now you're talking about somewhere around a fifth or less of people in Ukraine will claim they're Russian. Now, I said all that to say this what's the Ob- Ebonics connection? Just like we were snatched from a continent that was 20% of the world's land mass, with thousands of different languages, that if you study metaneture and then begin the deep study of African languages, you can see some of the cognates. And if you are an Ebonic speaker, as you are studying meta-nature with Mario Beatty and Nubia, if y'all are Nubia, you will then, and the more you learn, the more you realize, huh? Some of the semantic meanings in Ebonics. And ebonics, by the way, the reason they choose the word ebonics instead of African American English or African American language is because Williams and him is saying this is something that transcends these fake boundaries. There's an ebonics in Spanish, there's one in Portuguese, there's one in English, there's one in French. And if you ain't got nothing left but the phonology, if you go to any of them places, Brazil, Haiti, Georgia, Jersey, DC, and say, mm, mm-hmm, mm <laughs> If you're an ebonic speaker, you know those sounds. If you're not an ebonic speaker, you're lost. What? What were y'all doing? Well, I said, in the sounds, that's the truth. The other person said, I don't believe you. I said, mm-hmm. He said, "Uh uh-uh. mm mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Are you sure? <laughs> in other "Hmm. mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> huh that's finality. I can't tell you how many times uh-huh, got me over in West Africa. In <laughs> Africa. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Let's have some tea. In other words, you don't speak no tree? No, but I speak Ebonics, and so does he. You know what I'm saying? What do y'all do? We talking and Lou Hamer in Guinea. Julian Bond said, "We looking for fan Lou Hamer in the hotel. She gone. We look. We ain't shit in the marketplace getting her hair fixed, braided by some sisters. And she don't speak a word of French. They don't speak a word of English. And somehow they was talking to each other. She from Mississippi. She's an Abonic speaker. Don't sleep. The point I'm about to make though is in the Ukraine, the breakaway republics that claim to be Russian. When this woman right here, when Fatland went into Donetsk, just what they told her, the Russians." we here to defend the integrity of the Russian people. Uh, and Ukrainian, the Ukrainian language, that's just a dialect of Russian. What? See, you got to understand while people watching MSNBC and CNN and reading the New York Times or what are not reading anything at all, relying on social media, talking about a us and a them, they ain't no we, they ain't no us. The American people condemn, they ain't no American people. Do you understand them Them little handed, little fisted cats like little young Josh Hawley and uh, and Mitch McConnell, who are already taking shots at Kintaji Brown Jackson? All of them, they are not. When they say American, they ain't talking about you. They are white nationalists. What's that corn bone hillbilly from Louisiana that Gary Chambers is trying to, uh, to, to uh, defeat in the Senate, Senate election? Oh, John Kennedy. With that fake, well, foghorn, leghorn uh, accent coming out of Louisiana, even though he went to Ivy League schools. Fourth of July, his ass was in Russia, in Moscow. Let's be very clear. As John Henry Clark said, black people, you have no friends. Them people want you to salute the flag while they laughing at you. I pity the fool." to fall in love with you and expect you to be true. I pity the fool, why? They care about power. And so in the Ukraine, you've got a guy that these people who care about power at all costs don't really have a problem with because they had tried to stop him a long time before this, Vladimir Putin, who is looking for a way to maintain power. And, to, and he has all kinds of other motives. Many of them we're all speculating about. Some of them we haven't, you know, we, we don't know. But the bottom line is this. These, these white nationalist politicians in the United States have no problem with that because it will allow them to reinforce their own assignments because Vladimir Putin ain't the only oligarch involved in this. The oligarchs of the United States are involved in it and their bottom line is we just need to keep our profits up. We just need to keep our profits going. We just need, and we already rented these politicians. We will come back to all this in a minute, but I want to finish up with this Ebonics place to make this connection. So with these Russians in Donetsk, one of the two breakaway self-governing, self-determining uh, regions of the Ukraine that Putin uses as an excuse to roll over the border a couple of days ago, even though he said months ago he would not do that, well, we all know he would. Why? Because in twenty fourteen, made the same argument about Crimea, and took Crimea in the south. Let me show y'all Crimea on the map. We all know because one of the things we all talk about something, and people don't even know where it is on the damn map, right? So let me see if she's got a map in here. If not, I just people just had to Google it. It ain't a problem. Yeah, now this is this is the border. So Crimea is not on the border. She didn't have all of the Ukraine in here. Look in the water. This <laughs> went for Ukraine, uh, for Crimea, but. They don't have a problem with that. He took it in 2014. Remember what's going on in Syria right now. Remember the proxy wars in other places. Putin, as long as Putin don't mess up the profit and the money. he saw Joe Biden talking smack the other night. I think it was Thursday afternoon. Talking about they're going to cut off their money. They're not going to cut off their money. Do you know how much real estate the Russians and the Chinese own in Manhattan alone? You want to know why the real estate prices jumped up over there? One of the reasons, not the only reason, perhaps not even the primary reason, but certainly one of the reasons is international finance capital, all the offshore accounts and the real estate and the go, yeah, yeah. Mm-mm. And not to mention the EU gets a third of its energy from Russia. 37% of the Russian economy's trade comes from the EU. If you Germany, you nervous right now. They mess around, cut off that coal and all that. Not to mention the fact that the Ukraine, which was once known as the breadbasket of Europe, they got that black soil. That black soil in the Ukraine? That black soil in the Ukraine is some of, if not the richest soil in the world. Guess what happens if that gets messed up? It's not going to just affect the EU, the United States. That wheat, those sugar beets that are used to reduce sugar, All the stuff that comes out of Ukraine, it's going to jack up Africa, too. You know how much food leaves the Ukraine headed for Africa? This is a serious conversation we're having right now. And I'll just mention in passing, because, again, uh, as uh, uh, Curtis Mayfield said, they don't know there could be no show. And if there's hell below, we all going to (laughs) go when they were fighting on Thursday. Right next to, I think, Prof, you and I are both just old enough to remember a little place called Chernobyl. Yes. My God. They were this close in bombing in Chernobyl to the concrete reinforced structure that contains the nuclear waste. And by the way, Chernobyl is going to be radioactive when, uh, well, I say our great, 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 great. But if I kept saying greats, we'd be off because I'm talking about thousands of years from now nuclear now they only cut they only shut the nuclear uh plant there in 2000 but chernobyl was at 86 mm-hmm. yeah the nuclear accident the cleanup and all that they got it encased in concrete and the shelling was going on there now if you want to know now ukraine ain't got nuclear weapons at one time they were the third largest nuclear uh, Cache in the in the world after the US and Russia Soviet Union because they were part of Soviet Union But after the Soviet Union broke up in 91 one of the things, you know, Ukraine entered into the treaty the one Donald Trump tore up while he calling Oh uh, boy a genius Putin his friend uh, that, that, I guess they still trying to build well I guess they ain't gonna build nothing in Moscow now Trump Tower anything else Although I saw those two white prosecutors quit because the DA Bragg said maybe he not gonna pursue the charges in uh, in Manhattan Against uh, uh, Trump. I don't know what's going on. I, I, I'm trying to figure out the backstory in that because I'm saying, are y'all trying to undermine Brad because I don't think he's saying he won't go after Trump. But either way, long story short, Chernobyl, they were bombing around Chernobyl on Thursday. Now, I'm getting nervous. I'm not talking about good guys and bad guys. Nothing this brother said many times, including mouth to ear to me. In some stories, it ain't no good guys. So if you're looking for a good guy in this story, let's just pause right now for five, four, Three, two, one. In some stories, it ain't no good, guys. Okay? Now, y'all can follow on behind John Kennedy from Lazy Anna. You can fi- follow behind Lil Fist, young Josh Hawley, insurrectionist from Missouri. You can follow behind No Chin. Uh, first thing to fall is Cats with No Chin. Tom Land of Cotton, Senator from Arkansas, if you want. But they looking at it, you laughing, cause they don't believe in only one thing: doing what they masters say, employers, and making sure that you stay out of the way while they do it. Now, y'all run around here talking about our country and what we can't stand and our democracy, and <laughs> we're gonna get to all that in a minute. But the point, no, I'll, I'll end with this on this point, and then we will continue in this in this vein. Um, the. The actions of Vladimir Putin, which by the way are being, it's something truly remarkable going on in Russia. Let me ask you Prof, I know you've been monitoring a lot of this and have been in conversation with a lot of people, just like brother Terrell is there in Kiev, capital of Ukraine. And I resist the urge to go through a long history of, the, of Ukraine, just suffice it to say, Ukraine been around a long time. And Kiev is not quite 1600 years old as a city
0: it's been around thousands of years. Yeah, of the, before that. But,
1: I'm, yeah, but I'm, saying, I'm saying, it goes, it goes, right, exactly, ex- exactly. And the Ukraine, there's been a tug of war between the elements in that region that go all the way back to, well, back before this, but one of the critical moments, this is around the time that many of our ancestors were here had been really ushered into this form of chattel enslavement. So we're gonna say around 1700 to 1720, that's around the time you see a war between Charles XII of Sweden and Peter I, who people call Peter the Great. You know what makes me laugh, is how many people fall in love with this mess because (laughs) of school. They want to get the gown. They want to go see the movies where they re- remake Anna Karenina. Maybe we can make that black. Why are y'all always trying to crawl up under your master's culture and put a black person in it? Call it the uh, Bridgerton mentality. But anyway, the whole—I mean, why? Why? Because like ebonics, just too hard. I'm not trying to do that kind of work, so you'll always be confused you'll never understand what's going on now until you disentangle what went on then because these people have a hierarchy and you're at the bottom of it. Now, there are two things you can do. you can bust your ass to try to get up a little higher up in it so that they maybe can say, well, you're the black one and then you proud and wave at the rest of the blacks say, see get up on my level, start from the bottom, now I'm here or you can break the chain that link your ideas to their ideas. Listen to your ancestors without interpreters. And when you encounter them, you encounter them the way all human beings should encounter each other as full and equal people. Ain't nobody saying go cut nobody's throat or go beat them up, but you should walk in the room with your dignity and respect standing up straight. As Dr. King said, a man can't ride your back if it's bent, we're going to come to the world house in a minute because this is the book we're going to start in newbie, of course. Not next week. We The readings have been posted. Thank you, Race, But the week after. So not this coming Monday, but the following Monday. We're going to talk about this in a minute. I'm going to come back and tie, tie much of this together because we're living in a world village. And you should live in the world village, not as the damn person cleaning up the feces in the world village you get spit on by everybody because you at the bottom. That's far as I'm concerned, this whole romanticizing the region we're talking about because that beef predates in fact when i guess it's 1709 1710 when charles the charles the second charles the 12th from sweden takes on so-called peter the great sweden holds the most influence they got the biggest army the most efficient well the most efficient army in europe this begins to collapse after they're defeated by the russians See, if you're looking at this through the Russians' eyes, it's very complex. Then that's not saying they're backing Putin. This is where I was going with it. The Russian mentality, and I I, I hesitate calling anything with a label like that, but I'm just going to say, it's like saying the American people. Well, no, it's not like saying the American people, because there ain't no such thing as the American people. There is a Russian mentality, because you're talking about a common culture. There's no common culture in the United States. We'll get to that in a second. We start talking about sovereignty, which is why it's very difficult. For people who don't distinguish between a state and a nation to understand what's going on because they ascribe national identities to these countries, and you shouldn't. I think it's part of the thing that the Kenyan ambassador Martin Kamani was saying in oh. the Human Security Council, oh. which, which is a complicated conversation. We're gonna have that, we gonna talk about this in a minute. Very oh you know, because when you draw an artificial line and you cut off people in a country you now call Nigeria, as we talked about last week and you cut them off from Togo or Benin, or you cut off the people who are in Ghana from Togo and Benin and cut them off further, or if you go in the other direction and cut off people you know who are in Congo and make up a line here, you know, Angola, Congo, then you are creating a circumstance where people who speak the same languages are now developed by an invisible line. If you claim that flag identity before the identity of your people, it's going to cause problems. One of the things Kamani was saying is, we could have been at at each other's throats after Europe, after the age of direct imperialism, during the period of uh, anti-colonial movements, we inherited these artificial lines that were imposed on us by Europeans that split families, that split countries. If we had decided to try to reunite people, there would have been bloodshed, there would have been conflict. And at that point, I'm like, yeah, wait, how do you know that? you're assuming something. And I'm not saying he's wrong, because if you understand what happened in Rwanda and Burundi, you know that a lot of Tutsi people live in Eastern Congo. And what became a Congo World War, there were like seven countries involved in what happened there in the early 2000s. In terms of this battle, a lot of it uh, fomented by ethnic conflict, also by external actors that didn't give a damn how many Black people killed each other, as long as that tan kept coming out shout out to those companies that were headquartered in england and in france and israel that made sure that their minds were protected why because they don't give a damn all y'all black people can kill each other as long as we keep getting this precious metal out of congo out of ukraine out of in other words there's a layer in this we're going to talk about in a second but let me let me let me kind of um pull some of this stuff together so that it's very clear i mean in my mind it's clear but i want to make sure that it's clear so i'm gonna pause here for a second and, and and just state where we are in this conversation we have Kamani's point is that conflicts that attempt to uh re- not even repair although repair would be a decent word artificial boundaries by making prior claims on identities on cultural continuities on communities he said it would end up in endless bloodshed in Africa. I don't necessarily, I don't believe that. And I don't not believe it, because there's no way to test it. And we know that we have seen conflicts that were triggered by ethnic conflicts, both within those artificial boundaries. We see it among the Zulu, the Kosa, and in, in the wake of Mandela being released from prison, you know, people who were comrades at each other's throats, we see xenophobia. You know, when people from Zim move into South Africa and they're accused of taking jobs and that's kind of thing, we see it in the Dominican Republic. I've got a student now at the law school, young sister, who is Dominican. Uh, she's writing her paper. We had a meeting yesterday. She's writing her final paper in my class on the question of the legal uh, grounds for the cultural conflict that is going on now in the Dominican Republic with Haitians. Uh, who well I say Haitians, but people who were born in the DR because of the external interference of the West and everything else, and the propped-up governments and all the stuff that has that has happened in on that island of so-called Hispaniola for the last 200 years or more, more now at this point, are now treated in the DR as y'all Haitian. But I was born here, no birthright citizenship. That ain't a thing now. We 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 remedied ourselves of that. We're gonna deport y'all. But I never lived in Haiti, yeah, but y'all Haitian. I mean, so very and now, of course, there's an influx of Venezuelans. Uh, you know, after the United States has interfered in Venezuela for decades for decades at this point, propping up that clown-faced uh Juan Guaido is their last attempt at coups in in, in, in in Venezuela. And that's not to say Nicolas Maduro, who running Venezuela now, is a complete good guy. Remember what John Herbert Clark said, but This is external influence driving all this. I said all that as a backdrop to say this. So we do have evidence of people fomenting ethnic, cultural, national beefs within and across lines. But when Kumani said that, you know what came to mind is our brother, Howard French in Born in Blackness. When Howard French says in Born in Blackness that what what European uh, interference in Africa, Prevented was the natural development of larger polities, larger forms of governance. Now, would they have come out looking like the countries we have in the world now? The answer to that is nobody knows. And if you say, well, we can't know that. So we got to just deal with the world we have. No, no, hell no. Because guess what? As I said at the beginning, to quote the great Sam Cooke, it's been a long, long time coming. But I know a change going to come. Oh, yes, it will. Guess what? The nation state coming to an end. So is the empire of the last several centuries. How do we know? What we're seeing Putin do is evidence that the concept of the modern nation state, which is a European idea, continues to fray. Because there's no way now to do what was done even 50 years ago, much less 100 years ago, to do what was done in the 15th century, much less the 12th century, much less the 10th or 11th centuries, you can't do what you used to do because what you do one place influences everybody else and the structures that you've trapped people in are unsustainable because here's the thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie, I'm, I'm tie this together. I want to make some very, very keen and and, 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 and and clear points. Let me pause here. Let let you know some of this stuff because it seems like i'm kind of painting a broad picture and kind of putting in some different points that may not connect now let's start connecting i'm going to start with something from a country that you mentioned at the very beginning canada this is peter russell peter russell is a professor emeritus at the university of toronto He is seen as one of the leading living political scientists in Canadian history. He wrote a book last year, 2021, published by the University of Toronto Press. Here's the other thing. You can't rely on the United States for all your information. People say, well, how do I know what to trust? Who do I know what to trust? Just keep looking and ask people who know or who know a little bit more than you do, and then trust your instincts as you continue. Oh, definitely sucking teeth for sure. Sucking teeth, teeth. suck is a good example of everybody. It's, it's, but uh, this is his book, Sovereignty: The Biography of a Claim. This is a fascinating book. Fascinating book. Let me let me read a little bit from it to give you a sense. Of, and this is how we're going to tie all this stuff together now, because languages are expressions of sovereignty. Language rights are expressions of sovereignty. If we take sovereignty in the broadest sense, but I don't want to do that right now. I mean, you know, how do you how do you determine a sovereign people? Let me start here. This is chapter one. Confronting the sovereignty claim. He says, on a late spring day in 1974, by the way, he'd been teaching at the University of Toronto since 1958. I received a long distance telephone call from Yellowknife, that's a place in Canada, from a gentleman who identified himself as James Washi. Grand Chief of the Dene Nation, Chief Washi explained that his people were developing a new approach to Canada. Developing a new approach to Canada. Let that sink in for a minute. When you hear that, Prof, what comes to mind? These are the Dene people, so you can assume they're indigenous. They were there before there was no Canada. And I, I love what Howard said. Well, a few acres of snow—that's what the British got. <laughs>
0: that's all they got. They don't have that's any other resources. Just a that's few right. Acres.
1: That's right. And. Do they see themselves as Canadian?
0: What is Canadian? And I mean, and what is American right now? I'm struggling.
1: What is Ukrainian? What is Russian? Oh, those last two going to make a whole lot more sense than them first two. Because when I tell people, why you keep saying it's not a nation? You're going to understand. See, I remember when we were in Columbus, Ohio. This was years ago. Just started grad school. And we had a radio show on Saturdays called... um, Oh, we call ourselves the New Jazz Scholars. That was called uh, Free Your Mind. We did it at 10 o'clock on the Black Own radio station in Columbus, Ohio. And we had to buy time. So it cost us like $200 a, a week. And to get the money, we would, after we finished the broadcast, get the cassette tape of the recording in the studio. Rush to the African Center for Study and Worship on the east side of Columbus. Shout out to Mariba Kelsey, still hailing hardy and fighting with both fists down in, uh, uh, in, in, in Atlanta, Georgia, where he's from. He's, he's in his mid-90s now, he and his wife. Uh, Sister Nyambi, they, you know, we had something called the African Center. That was the the, the little place where people would meet and they had a food co-op and we had study group on Friday night. So we go do our show, then tell people to meet us at the African Center in an hour. And we would take the cassette tape, rush to East Columbus, to the African Center, set up our multi-dubbing cassette unit. The first one I ever saw was at a Nation of Islam meeting. Remember when, after the Farrakhan would Uh, finish speaking and saying you can buy the cassette in the lobby and the nation will have a fleet of these massive kind of well not massive they will have a long like you have one cassette in there and then you will see it dubbing three or four and then you stand there for about 10 minutes and then the first ones come off then the second ones come off they sell you the speech right then well we said we need one else so we bought one we had one we get to the African Center and we would sell the tapes (laughs) and the people were coming by the tapes. And then we had enough money to pay the radio station for the next week. That's how we did it. We we did that for months. Anyway. And we did it at 10 a.m. because that's when Yo MTV Raps came on. And we were counter programming Yo MTV Raps at the time. How this thing on I mean, this is like around I don't remember now. That would have been around 1990, 91. Yeah. Anyway. Long story short. We used to say that we know y'all don't believe us. We're quoting out these black books and these black scholars. So we're going to give you some good white sources. America's not a nation. Here's a good white source for you right here. Peter Russell. Anyway, distinguished political scientist. Russell says that these Denae people call him because he had a reputation of being the expert at the University of Toronto on these type of issues. So he sa- they said they heard I was a constitutional expert and would like to test their new approach on me to see how it fitted into Canada's constitution system. Could I come up to Yellowknife and meet with them? He said, I'd never heard of the Dené Nation. I had no idea that this four-letter word meaning us, Dené means us. Pause. Pause. Us. When I hear our dear brother, Cory Booker, we are better than that. Who are we? I know who us is. <laughs> us and hear from the jesus christ that the word is us i know who us, us i know who us in them is i don't know who we are though because you stand up in the senate and these white boys over here looking at you like there was a time when i could have had you lynched now you they can't quite say it out their mouth yet hold on to 20 Twenty-two and four elections, but right now they just thinking it. Well, some of them are. Some of them out here are actually wilding because they know this. Not not wink wink. Because the same way they ain't stop Vladimir Putin from rolling his tanks into Ukraine a couple of days ago, or in 2014 invading and taking Crimea. They ain't stopped Kyle Rittenhouse ass from killing him in white on white crimes. So in other words, please understand when you say we, I don't know who you're talking about. Please be specific. So the word Dene means us. Us in the Asabaskan languages. He said, not only that, I didn't know that, but while I've been teaching the political science at the University of Toronto since 1958 and had become the department's professor for what we offered on all things constitutional, the words Indian, Matisse, Inuit, Native peoples, Aboriginal peoples, and indigenous peoples had never crossed my lips in 15 years of lecturing nor had any of the text I drew upon to prepare my lectures in Canadian government and politics included any content on peoples indigenous to the Canadian territory. But I was intrigued by the chief's call, so he went. Now watch this, now he's going to meet with these people. Watch this, I'm just gonna read a little bit more. The six today leaders waiting for me in the room got right down to business. The only woman in the group began the questioning. She said, there were two questions they would like to put to me. Now you just asked, what is a Canadian? What is an American, right? She said, the first she said was, quote, what is sovereignty? End quote. And the second was, punchline, quote, how did the queen get it over us? (laughs) What is sovereignty? Russell says, I could answer that. Sovereignty. And then she said, and how did the queen get it over us? He said, I not have an answer to that one. So I went back. <laughs> and that was the beginning of this book. The Russians have invaded the sovereign state of Ukraine. Hold on, Chief. Can I ask you a question? What is sovereignty? Well, sovereignty is the no process by which to may... Okay. And how did, what's the argument that Putin is making that he has it over those two breakaway states? And why is he bombing Kiev now? Well, that's a little bit more. Now we get into it. I like one of the definitions that another of the sisters he met in the Denae said. Russell say this sister say, "You know what? You know what sovereignty is? It's magic with an army and a navy." Cause we got See, these ain't Americans right now. I love, what I, One thing I love about reading the Canadians, like this cat, Stephen Marsh, who wrote the book, The Next Civil War. I'm trying to get him. You got to get him. got to talk to him. I want to talk to Marsh. Dispatches from the American future. Stephen Marsh is like, oh, y'all think it ain't going to be no civil war? I'm in Canada. I live in the United States, but I'm watching this go down. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Now, y'all ain't going to believe it, but this is how close you are to it because it ain't no nation. I'm in. I'm Canadian. Boy Russell says, why is as wise as it comes. Canadians that come say, I ain't even talking about Native Americans and I'm talking about all the government in Canada. I'm the authority. They said, we heard you the authority. Explain this to us. I had no answer because they weren't even in my concept. But what you realize is of these Western settler projects in the Western hemisphere, these Western settler projects, Canada is the leading one in grappling with rethinking sovereignty. Because guess what? If you are Lakota, what these Europeans call the Sioux, if you are Ashanabi, if you are Seminole, if you are Apache, if you are any of a thousand other groups of indigenous people in what is called the United States of America, you have to negotiate sovereignty. Because what Russell says is unlike Canada, where they kept making treaties, even if the treaties was trash, in the U.S., at some point, they stopped making trees and just said, we're just going to fight y'all and take your shit. <laughs> now, in school, this is what they terrify in the critical race theory thing. CRT, they're traumatizing our children. They, tra- we should, they should be traumatized because you lie to them and you lie to our children, too. Like we were talking in... Uh, Nubia Monday night. Remember that, y'all? When the sister came in from Houston, the school teacher, and she said that in my class, the Mexican students, Mexican-American, really original uh, indigenous people are saying, well, where are people in this Alamo story? And why y'all keep calling Santa Ana a villain? Santa Ana wasn't a villain. That's how they found out. And they found out Mexico abolished slavery. They found out some of them people who were the quote unquote founders of Texas were indigenous people. And they found out that them slave owners and holders, Jim Bowie and Davy Crockett, and who took the L, <laughs> took the L, they were trying to expand slavery. And so what those young people in her class began dawn on them was we were always allies. Now, y'all could read a more sophisticated version of that. My man, Gerald Horne, his book, Black and Brown. Everybody ain't with everybody, but a lot of people were with everybody and they were fanning, they were fighting against enslavement. So anyway, Peter Russell then explains through his book, Sovereignty, what we're talking about when we start talking about sovereignty. What is sovereignty? Let me see here if I can look it up right quick. Sovereignty is. OK, this way, he says. He says sovereignty don't exist as a concept outside of Europe. Even the word doesn't go back to the Latin, doesn't go back to the Greek. And he says, up until, roughly speaking, the Treaty of Westphalia, 1648, it's so funny because I can see just as clear in my head, it's before Mary Baraka passed. We were in Atlanta for the 150th uh, uh, anniversary of the publication, no, not the 150th. Uh, was it the 100th? hundred twenty. Yeah, I don't. Anyways, we were celebrating Du Bois, Souls of Black Folk. And uh, we were standing in Clark Atlanta Student Center, myself, Gerald, Alton Morris, Amir Baraka, all standing around. And Gerald was walking us through. He's been writing these books that go progressively back in the centuries. And the one he was working on at that point, which may have been Apocalypse Upset the Colonialism, I'm trying to remember which one it was. It might have been Apocalypse. Anyway, he started talking about the Treaty of Westphalia in 1648. Now, these cats are historians, political sciences, artists, scholars. You know, Barack is known as an artist, known as a poet, known as, you know, but you also got to really see him as a political figure and a real scholar as well. Um, You know, African studies, in my case, law, you know, Gerald, Gerald was a practicing lawyer. So, I mean, he's walking us through his theory of state formation, which is not at all controversial. And the reason I say I can see it as clear as day is because that's the type of conversations we have to have. They can't be tethered to these settlers, descendants of settlers who have another agenda. We've got to do some serious thinking. And one of the reasons why I'm so grateful to you and we're all so grateful because with narrative in Nubia, we can do that collective thinking. Everybody bring their brick, meaning everybody bring their experience, everybody bring their talent and together we build. Now I'm mentioning all that because Russell takes it back to the Treaty of Westphalia in 1648 And in a whole chapter, I think that's chapter three. Yeah, chapter three, Westphalia. The state gets it. After chapter two, emperor and pope fight for it. Meaning what? He's saying before Westphalia, the concept of sovereignty really and here's I'm going to give you a simple definition of sovereignty rather than read his definition. Sovereignty is is the obligation to comply with the laws and the commands of the sovereign authority. That's all it is. So, Professor Hunter, in the Hunter household you were growing up, who was the sovereign authority? My father. Okay, (laughs) what
0: was your obligation to comply? If you didn't comply, what could happen? Oh, the consequences. Well, he had a demerit system, which was quite interesting. Yes. So Tell about that, please. yeah. Um, so, uh, you yeah, know, cause I was a mischievous child and, uh, mm-hmm. very talkative and needed improvement in behavior quite frequently. So, uh, he had a three demerit system, you know, like three strike rule. So if I got, uh, you know, my report card was bad one market period, that was a demerit. If they, you know, if the teacher sent a note home, that was a demerit, you know, if I, um, you know, Got into an argument, you know, with my mother. Probably, you know, I would get a demerit, and after the third demerit, I would get my ass whooped.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah. Escalating so mean,
1: consequences. Yeah.
0: So I only got I only got my ass whooped once. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, only once. You know, I you know I had to test it. I had to test it. You know, I had to test it. Of and course. Then, uh, yeah, and then after that, you know, I figured out how to do all of the things I wanted to do and not get a demerit. But yeah, he had a That's demerit great. system.
1: That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Now, of course, another way of describing the demerit system would be the little three letter word law. That's all laws are. This is what Russell is saying. you got a sovereign who has authority. And sovereignty means the obligation to comply with laws and commands of the sovereign authority. Now, there are two ways you can do that. You can get it through acceptance or coercion. Now, what you just described, in terms we all got very clearly, the sovereign, and this would typically be uh, David Christian and boys, a lot of people write about this, I mean, I'm just not mentioning one name, in terms of levels of human social organization, the first level of human social organization is the family. You came out of your mother's womb, your mother and father there, so therefore, the obligation is born from the physical relationship. That isn't always the case. I mean, and then you go from level one to what they would say is level seven, which is the modern world system. What you're basically just doing is increasing in number. And the more people you get, the less they are tied together by blood and kinship. And at some level, somewhere around four and five, you start talking about the building of uh, states or empires that are held together with, as the Danae sister told DeBoer Russell, magic. (laughs) In other words, rituals, totems, shrines, icons. Got a little flag on your lapel. You say a little anthem that's against your own damn interest, but you sing it with a little tear in your eye. You pray to God, they'll pick you to sing it at the Super Bowl or some BS like that. This this is magic. But it holds together one side of the sovereign because the state, in, in your case, in my case, the household was our state. The sovereign were our parents. The rules they made for us and the consequences of violating was the law. And if we violate, here are the two sides of sovereignty, the obligation to comply and the conceding that the sovereign has the legitimate ability to stop and or punish you if you don't comply. These are the two things. These are the two things. In Moscow right now, Vladimir Putin, megalomaniac, 70 year old, you're going to die. So you can't save yourself. Uh, and if you think you are going to restore the Soviet Union to its former glory and all that old BS, hey, maybe that's just the ratings of a madman. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Just wrote an article, uh, read an article in Time magazine where he's saying that's the case. But you can't read Time. as I mean, Time, again, coming out of the United States, they're going to have their own little, they're trying to make this into a, 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 a good guy, bad guy thing. And in some stories, it ain't no good guys. Okay. But right now, it's illegal to protest. But ask Terrell and them. Even though Terrell's in Kiev, he got all these friends and family in Russia. He's been talking about them in Moscow. They are in the streets because they didn't mm-hmm. tell him to do that. Do you know what kind of risk? That's different even in two summers ago when we was out out in the street. You know, I, well, them young people out in the street. I went out there a couple of times in the height of COVID. But I went out, what I saw with my eyes, I saw them out there. But guess what? Miriam Bowser, the mayor of D.C., the D.C. government, the D.C. police, which is notorious. You ask Black Lives Matter D.C. on what they do to black people. You know, in order to maintain your sovereign authority, you can't just come out against them because that's going to bring all of us out. That's going to see the child is out there now. Big mama coming if you hit her with a brick or or, or, or a damn rubber bullet or something like that. So then what happens is what she do. Let me paint Black Lives Matter in the middle of this damn street why because sovereignty relies on consent it's magic and if especially if and when you can't hold the ability to stop or punish people if they violate your rules and we and look if you've lived in a household where the kids get too big to whip and still are scared of getting whipped then you mm-hmm. understand they have bought into the sovereignty of the household. But if you live in a household where the kids get too big to whip and then turn around and whip the parent, that means that the sovereignty has been violated. What Vladimir Putin is risking this time, they are protesting in Russia. Imagine that. They lock your ass up forever or disappear you or poison you or get your family. These people are like, nah, bruh, because you're getting ready to rain fire on us. Do you understand that when this happens, Not that I got family in the Ukraine, although many of them do, particularly Eastern Ukraine, because Moscow's not that far, but I don't care if I don't have anybody over there. This shit is wrong and that's enough. You've gone too far, but guess what? Putin ain't just being propped up by the billionaires in Russia. Putin's being propped up by the international plutocracy. Y'all can believe Joe Biden if you want to my freezing bank accounts, y'all better go check where the Russian plutocrats got their money because it's all over the world in this hierarchy that Russell walks us through in this book called sovereignty. So then he says, there are external and internal dimensions of sovereignty. Internally, you must have acceptance. This is why the Diné asked him, what is sovereignty and how did the queen get it over us? We never accepted that. Just every lie they ever told in a treaty. Cause see, what you do is you come in a place you do like, and he writes about uh going, you know, he goes to Australia and the cat is standing on the uh, on the mountain. He's looking around, he says, see, this is what happened when Captain Cook came down here and looked and said, I claim everything that I can see and beyond for England. Magic. Now, how you gonna make the Aboriginal cat's telling him that? He said, Now, now how you gonna make that stand up? Oh shit, Army and Navy. As Bill Cosby once said at Cram Auditorium at Howard University talking about the difference between a dialect and a language. He's talking about Ebonics. And yeah, I'm quoting Bill Cosby on this, uh, on this, what he said, because it's accurate. Cosby said this, you know what a dialect is? He said, a dialect is a language without an army and a navy. You know what a language is? A language is a dialect with an army and a navy. Don't y'all think about that next time somebody telling you don't speak ebonics now we got to be civilized i mean you got to learn to speak proper english that's bullshit language is language do you understand what i said uh-huh you do oh so now you're gonna get sididi because you went to work and somebody say, wait what just happened what's the ditty? oh i'm sorry let me translate for you This person just told this other person that they changed the way they act, the way they move, the way they are in order to get access to a place that this other person doesn't care about. And then by sucking the teeth, that first person said to the second person that I am now not only rejecting the premise, I am on the verge of rejecting you because you full of shit. You got all that from that? Yeah, because I speak Ebonics. You don't speak Ebonics? No. Why? Because Ebonics didn't have an army and a navy. (laughs) Y'all staying in England? You know this is what Cosby is saying. So I'm saying I have to say this: acceptance is the first element of sovereignty. And when the Europeans show up after Westphalia, this is this is this is what happened before. Before Westphalia, who do you think were considered sovereigns in Europe? If you had a society, who were the sovereigns? Who made the rules? The elders. Well, okay, let's start there. In all human communities, it would probably be when they're micro societies, families or groups of maybe eight to 50 or maybe a hundred or 200. If you're real good, a little bit few more than that, the convenings, the Mbongi as they would say in Central Africa, yeah, the village elders, the community elders, you would have a system. What, by what authority did they gain sovereignty? age experience and depending on your ways of knowing is divine in other words if you're going to have a society where we do things beyond kind of live and eat for ourselves then you're going to have a set of have to have a set of rules how do you develop rules what he's walking us through in this book is how Europe did it but if we extrapolate from that the way all societies do it then in Kemet you don't build pyramids because a bunch of people got together and said let's go stack some rocks no you had a pharaoh you had an administrative system. The Pharaoh or Perua, as you'll learn if you take a meta from Dr. Beatty, Perua means the great house. The, it doesn't mean king. It doesn't translate the king. Again, break the chain and link African ideas to European ideas. Listen to your ancestors without interpreters. It means the great house. means what? By the authority of God, I, in human form, have the responsibility to administer the Perua, the great house, meaning the whole country. Now, here's the thing. There are many different cultural groups in Kemet along that long stretch of the Nile Valley, thousands of of miles, extending from Ethiopia into Sudan, coming down. How are you going to unite all them people? Well, you're going to need some common language. You're going to need some common icons, rituals, shrines, totems, and, and... The best way to engender acceptance is for you not to strip people of what they believed and thought before you came in with your army or came in with your words. Soft power, hard power. So guess what? In Kemet, they had a structure, something called the sepej, uh, Translates in English, often use the word gnomes. Meaning what? Territories where in that territory, the chief concept of God, nature that we use here, that nature here is going to be uh, wajet, or this nature here is going to be uh, uh, headheru, or this nature here, in other words, wherever, depending on where you go, this is going to be the chief one. But when you get to the Giza, uh, uh, the Saqqara Plateau or the Giza Plateau, and you see the tombs and temples in in, in, in um, the shrine cities like uh, Ipet Isut, uh, Luxor, Southern Ipet. You'll see thieves and Luxor, as the Greeks would call them. You'll see all of the manifestations of God lined up in a judgment scene. After you die, you got to go past all of them. It would be almost like saying when you die, your physical body ends. Your spirit goes on. You talk about the different forms of spirituality. You stand before the judge. They got the scale there. Mahat and are there. You see Waset and Nebhet, Isis and and Neptis. Standing with a brother uh and her husband, I said, her and he's sitting there on the thing, and they 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 stand there looking at you, and you got to testify to everything you did in your life. I have not uh robbed people, I have fed the hungry, all this kind of thing. But before you do it, every time you say something, you say the name of one of those sipet netchers meaning what it would almost be like saying right now, we came and said, when you make transition, you gotta stand up before God and say, Hey, Mississippi, I have not cheated people. Hail New Jersey. I have not. In other words, that's a true union. You can't say that in the United States. Why? Because it ain't no true union. He's saying, God, we trust. What well, God you talking about? Because I promise you, I ain't praying to what you praying to. I promise you that. But at any rate, you know, now we might, you might think I am, but you, you real fool. And An old Ethiopian proverb is that when the emperor rides by, the peasant bows and slowly farts. <laughs> Meaning what? See, sovereignty is maintained either by consent or force. I'm scared of that army. People say, well, you know, black people are patriotic. No, black people know you got the guns. Read Martin Luther King. He said, you know what? I'm worried about black power. I believe in black power, black pride, and all that, but I know we can't win no war. They got too many guns. I'm nonviolent. I am not going to fight either way with violence. I'm not going to do that. But for those of you who will, I'm telling you tactically it's 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 imprudent right now. You can't you can't you can't do it. He's making that argument. We're going to read that together. Anyway, let me let me keep going. So another element of internal sovereignty is res- if you reject it, if you resist, you are adversely impacted if you re- if you reject it. So for example, the water protectors. Remember that a couple of years ago when everybody showed up to stop that pipeline, that oil pipeline. Oh, what's the name of the place? i just blanked. Uh, mm-mm, Lakota, it'll come to me in a minute. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Oh, come on for a I don't know, I'm blanking this
0: morning on that. Where, where was it? What part of the, the world? Uh, uh, Dakota, Dakota Access. Oh, black, black uh, hold on. Yeah, because I had some friends that were protesting there. Yeah,
1: a lot of people went out there. Uh, somebody, the Nubians, will help us in a minute. Uh, Dakota Pipeline. Start to say Ruby Ridge, but that's not the case.
0: No, it's not that. Uh, it's uh, Rock, Standing Rock. Standing
1: Rock. That's right. Stand, rock. Thank you. Thank you. Stand with Standing Rock. These people are saying this is our sovereign land. United States, like you ain't got no sovereign land. And they said, you know, even by your old bullshit treaties. <laughs> This is a sovereign land. No, because we got an army and a Navy and we got racists in charge of the state and white nationalists in charge of the state who will side with Putin too. Because see, here's the thing. These white nationalists in the United States siding with Vladimir Putin right now, they got one rule. Now let's play big bank, take little bank. We would treat you the same way Putin is treating the Ukrainians because the way he look at them is the way we look at you. We're together on that. We have a deep and abiding, nurturing, warming hatred. For you. I don't share nothing in common with young Josh Hawley, except we came out of our mother's wombs on the same continent. And if you think that you can use these jacked up ass laws in the sovereign state in those United States of America to continue to keep us in here, here's what you about to find out, bruh. Here's what you about to find out, because increasingly in this country, you're going to find that people are going to be unafraid of the consequences the more you abuse them. And so with Putin, for example, running into Ukraine after a series of uh, of ridiculous things, because as I said before, and I'll tie this together right quick, from 1922 to 1991, the Ukraine was part of Soviet Socialist Republics. The Soviet Union dissolved in December 1991. Around that same time, actually the year before, uh, Ukraine declared sovereignty. In '91. they declared independence. And... What you see is there's been a fight ever since in some ways or the other, because you got a lot of Russians who were there who were stationed there. These are the ones who say they're now in this quasi-independent public republics. Um, the, the place is three quarters Ukrainian, but then the, the United States, not the United States, again, sovereignty being very important in this. Oh, I, I well, I'll come back to that in a second. I'm just gonna finish this point on Ukraine and keep going. There was an attempt to establish Russia-friendly governments. That was the guy they ran out in twenty fourteen. He was part of that. Um, uh, uh, Yanukovych, yes, Victor Yanukovych was 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 ousted because he' gonna be friendly, right? Because they've always beefed over these 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 republics in the east, these these territories in the east, and also they have beefed over Crimea. But the point. Let me let me finish with uh with sovereignty to tie this together. So sovereignty requires you to be afraid too. If, you, if, if people are abusing you. Now, what's the external components? Recognition is one. In other words, will other sovereign states recognize you? Well, prior to 1648 in Europe, it's a European idea. Were there other, was the world organized by societies? Absolutely, absolutely. Were those societies perfect? Absolutely not you had kings, you had village elders and queens, you had monarchs, you had different forms of organization. The Egyptian ain't the only form of organization. And in Greece, they had the city states, you know, the Athenian city states, you know, and then they fight each other, Athens versus Sparta. Some of y'all watched that 300 stuff. And, you know, I watched it too, but I don't believe that's me. <laughs> I mean, see, it's the difference. You got to stop projecting yourself onto these foods because some places in the world, straight violence. Then you got, you know, uh, religious extremists like Mel Gibson putting his money behind something like Apocalypto, like he gonna tell the story of what was happening in indigenous America, like somebody's supposed to believe that shit. Now quit making these people cosplay Europeans, because one thing is for absolute sure, whatever else was going on around the world, whether it be what we call China now, whether it be the Azteca or the Inca, whether it be uh, the Mayans, wherever you go, anywhere in Africa, one thing is for absolute sure. In Western Eurasia, what we call Europe, that backwater, when we read what Howard French wrote about it in Born in Blackness, they was fighting over Christianity. Remember the Holy Roman Empire, Charlemagne and all of them? Remember how, I mean, these cats is always rolling on each other. That's what they do. Westphalia, according to Peter Russell and others, but I love Peter Russell's book because it's very new and it helped you walk through it. It's a short book. I encourage y'all, if you want to get about 170 pages, what, what Russell walks through in chapter three is, They came together in Germany, Westphalia, to try to squash the beef. And that's when they moved from God as the source of sovereign authority to the state, more or less. Because remember, this is after the Protestant Revolution. The Protestants breaking from the Catholics. And remember, Henry VIII broke the Church of England, the Anglican Church, from the Pope. I mean, the idea is God gave me the right. Now, last I checked, there there aren't any pharaohs in Egypt anymore. I don't think. No, they're not. Mm. But England still got a queen. Y'all better stop putting smoke on other people, and then your shit don't stink. Because what they also introduced, particularly with settler colonialism, is a is the c word. The c word. Civilization. In other words. Once they work out how they are gonna deal with sovereignty so they don't stop, they can stop killing each other. And last I checked, it really didn't work. <laughs> Three years war, 100 years war, French and Indian war, World War One, World War II, Cold War, invasion of Crimea. Damn, you all always fighting, what the hell? This European model, because those state boundaries you create that you then transfer in order to gain acceptance from people, you move from do it because I'm the king and I got enough knights at the round table to cut your whole head off if you don't do it. Wait, damn. All right, let me uh all right, let me the, the authority I'm doing is because I'm providing public services. So in, in exchange for you giving me your consent, I will make laws that will make us all work together. Or you found out I was corrupt. Okay, well, that's all right. I still got uh, I'm the sheriff of Nottingham. I mean, what, you ain't scared of me no more? Oh, shit, you, you nice with that bow and arrow. What the hell? Hey, hey, fugitive, go get Robin Hood. Go give it. Now, nah, wait, I ain't got the muscle. Let's just pretend that they don't exist. Whether it be Robin Hood in the English or the Maroons in Jamaica. Some of these people broke out and realized we ain't got that kind of muscle. So therefore, we're gonna pretend like they're not there. That's all you turn up, Nick Rose, that the government just looks the other way until they can figure out a way to take you out. And Vladimir. That's the whole country of Ukraine. Because here's what you don't understand, bro, Or perhaps you do. Maybe you're just crazy. You invaded a country that could very easily update the parable of Vietnam. Because if you think you're going to bomb them, and they just going to say, okay, you win. And I told you the place is 75% Ukrainian, and them beefs go back long, long, long before it was the Soviet Union. Long, long before there were states in Europe. Long, long. But they put the Swedes out. Remember, Charles the 12th had to flee. Remember, you Russian, you Russians are stubborn. Well, guess what? Y'all share that with the Ukrainians. If you think you're going to conquer them, you're going to be stuck there forever. And guess what? The clock is ticking on you now. Don't you have elections coming up in a few months? And guess what? These people clearly not scared of you anymore like they were before. And guess what? You might not have that kind of muscle. And guess what? Your friends over here in London, in Moscow, in mean London, in Paris, and in, in Washington, D.C., they are a little scared. And guess what? Your boy over there that you met with at the Olympics, Xi Jinping, he at the U.N. Council voted to abstain.
0: <laughs>
1: Why? Because he looking like, let me see what's going to happen. Cause guess what? Read Howard French's book, Everything Under the Heavens on China. China's sitting back like it ain't but two ways it's gonna well it ain't but one way this gonna go. China will win. It may take us another couple hundred years or tomorrow, but China will win. That's the only way it's gonna go. So what he's sitting back and saying, What the hell are they gonna do? They ain't gonna stop him. All right. And now, now what now I wasn't there, you weren't there, none of us were there. But I expect that Putin probably didn't tell G J P, P. 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 Yeah. that he was gonna make this move. And then again, if poop is really crazy. Maybe one of them worms in the bottom of some of them drinks he drank and ate his brain in the last couple of weeks, and he just went full on crazy. But we don't know. But what we do know is this. When he gets away with this, because guess what? The thing about sovereignty in the contemporary world, which is why I said they can do something now that they couldn't do 100 years ago or 200 years ago or 1,000 years ago, is they got nuclear weapons now. So guess what? They was bombing around Chernobyl, scared shadow me. I'm like, oh my God, you talk about a cloud that would disappear. We, we, we all be dead. Just if they let loose that nuclear waste. Well, if they drop a bomb, nobody's going to survive. And so, very interesting. Very interesting because what I'm trying to make is this. Chi Chi Ping and them looking at the Chinese looking like, because Chi Ping, man, this dude now, I'm sorry, what am I saying? Yeah, yeah, President Xi, Xi, Xi. What Xi is saying now is, and, and, the, and the Chinese, they're turning inward. They have begun a long turn inward. And and part of that strategy is, you know, this is a, Chinese business, Chinese culture, Chinese foundation. And guess what? If you think that Russia got a claim on them two, quote unquote, rogue uh, states, so-called states that Ukraine doesn't recognize and the world doesn't recognize a key element of sovereignty but that Russia is now in if you think that Russia's got to change a a claim on Crimea which they took in 2014 and the world community so to speak doesn't recognize don't matter you you, you think they got a claim on them two places go to the map and find a little place called Taiwan you better watch China because guess who else abstained? India. We all wearing this white-on-white balance. Meanwhile, the real next powers in the world, because we're at the end of the age of European rule, are the people who got punched in the face during the European rule who have now convalesced from their wounds. And guess what? While we got a whole African continent with billions of people projected to be multiple billions by the end of this century, you've got China. You've got India. you got an artificial line dividing India and Pakistan that was left there that could make what the Kenyan ambassador... Looked, so I'm gonna talk, was talking about look like a damn kindergarten fight. There are real threats in the world that this sets the precedent for how the quote-unquote international community will move against them or not move against them. Going back to Russell's book, Sovereignty, the external components of sovereignty is recognition by the states of the world or non-recognition. If it's recognition, let's walk through in a couple of minutes the history of recognition in the modern world system. Because by 1648, you got a good 200 years of European expansion. Because they don't have much anybody wants. As John Henry Clark said, they land poor people, poor resource poor. As Howard French walks us through, they don't have much up there anybody wants to trade with anywhere in the known world. And, And in fact, Europe in many ways is Asia's forgotten wild west. Them people over there, now, in fact, Caesar said they're so stupid in England, they will not even make good slaves. In other words, they just over there. Leave them alone. But then, which is why I'm looking at Joe Biden laughing when he came on TV Thursday, we are not going to stand. Dude, your people invaded a whole hemisphere. Hmm. You declared a whole unilateral declaration of war on an entire continent, the one I'm from. I'm sorry, I won't say you, Joe. Because I think your people are Irish. So they kind of took an L2 from the English, if you know the history of Ireland and England, right? So Scotland, Ireland, England, the United Kingdom, so to speak. So let's just call it what it is. okay? They beginning a couple of centuries before leading to the beef they tried to squash in 1648 with the creation of the modern state system and the concept of sovereignty then is codified. Then, a couple of centuries later, when they have lost their colonies in the West, which we're going to talk about in a second, they turn to the place they were getting the labor from and draw them artificial lines that that, uh, Kamani was talking about last week at Berlin. They go back to Germany for the Berlin Conference. Well, guess what? One cat is there, as Jesse Jackson said, when he was running for president at the democratic national convention, when uh, he had almost won the nomination, cut us in or cut it out. That's Vladimir Putin. So the whole point is, you know, and uh, let me just, let me just go through it. Europe was Asia's wild west. It's the same continent. Biggest country on that continent, Russia. We just saw the boundaries. Russia ain't had no colonies in the Western Hemisphere. Rus- Russia didn't have no African colonies. Russia got to play catch up. China, you punch back because they were internal too. Then you try to take them over and ask China about Japan and Korea. See, this is, gets real complicated because sovereignty is something that operates. That's, there's a reason why you call it nation state and not nation or state. The nation part is where you try to claim a claim of sovereignty based on common culture. Just To press this, is the excuse that Putin is using. All oh, them people in the Ukraine is Russians. And then, when the sister, when the, when the girl went over there and asked in the breakaway republic, that's nook, she's like, Well, you know, but you, she said, Nah, Ukrainian. The dude told her, Young Russian soldier. Nah, Ukrainian, that's just a dialectic Russian. Oh, shit. These people think all the Ukrainians is rogue Russians, but, but that's the nation part. And then, that's why I say, United States, is not a nation, really. What's the common language, English, really? Then, how can you play? Uh, at Taco Bell with pesos close to the Mexican border in Texas. How come many people in the United States don't speak English at all, and it's cool? How come there is no official language in the Ukraine? A few years ago, they tried; they made Ukrainian the official language. When they had the puppet guy come in that they put out in 2014, he tried to uh, to to revoke that, and they revolted against him. And what they did do, however, over the last 20 years is they wrote into the Ukrainian constitution that. The language of the people in whatever region you're in, that language can be the controlling language when you do business in. So, of course, that allows those quote-unquote breakaway republics to say, we don't speak Ukrainian here. The other thing is Ukraine is not a federal state. That's important. In other words, they don't have states like Nigeria or the United States. It is a country that is seen as unif- sees itself as unified. That's going to make it even more difficult. Because what Russell says is one of the solutions he says to the problem of sovereignty in the 21st century and beyond. Because what Russell concludes in this book is that sovereignty is going to get the species killed in its current form. Because sovereignty, he, he in fact he wrote an afterward because he finished this book before COVID, but it came out as after COVID had broken. So he puts an afterward in here talking about you see what happened with COVID. That's why sovereignty won't work. Global warming is a problem. All of this stuff is a problem. You can't face that as countries. You got to have commonality. And when you got white nationalists in the United States stopping treaties from getting signed, and by the way, let me just drop in five minutes on Kentaji Brown Jackson, who of course was nominated to the Supreme Court. It's not going to change the, uh, the, uh, the composition of the Supreme Court, but I'm going to mention her here because when she gets confirmed, and we expect she will get confirmed because some same rules that Mitch McConnell broke to break the filibuster to get his illegitimate judges on the court the democrats can now use that which means hey joe joe coal miner cosplay coal miner hey toonie loon and arizona cinema y'all better not show y'all ass we got something for you you understand and this ain't no idle threat. There's a lot of ways to take people. I'm talking about electoral politics. I'm talking about organizing. And guess what? Uh, the three that voted for her when she was confirmed to the D.C. Circuit, court of appeals for the D.C. Circuit, that would be Lindsey Graham out of South Carolina and Susan I'm concerned Collins out of Maine and Lisa Murkowski out of Russia adjacent uh, Alaska. Don't y'all get scared now. Because anyway, my point is this. Once she's on there, it's still going to be 6-3. And guess what's coming before the court? This summer. No, actually, I think next week, they're going to hear arguments. uh, Coal companies and white nationalist led states, meaning the attorney general, attorneys general of these white nationalist led states, uh, are suing to curb the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, uh, for having its authority to tackle climate change. So Joe Biden's talking about, we're going we gonna to get these greenhouse gases. These white nationalists like, you ain't getting shit. The man paid me to come to Congress and stop you. Well, what Russell is saying is, see, that's where sovereignty is going to get us all killed. Because one of the major resources in Ukraine is coal. Black coal and brown coal. Brown coal, the worst kind of coal. But guess what? The court accepted the case, even though the Environmental Protection Agency under Joe Biden hasn't even proposed a plan yet to cut greenhouse emissions. In other words, these white NASAs are not waiting. They're going to run a Boston, the abortion case. The Mississippi abortion case is before them. They got a gun case right now. Second Amendment case out of New York, one of eight states with laws that the National Rifle Association says prevent most people from legally carrying a handgun in public. You know what they want to do now? You buy a gun, just walk them down in lower Manhattan or wherever the hell, Harlem, whatever, with it on your hip. Yo, you think it's going to be bad now? (laughs) Immigration. Biden people trying to stop this previous policy that requires asylum applicants to remain in Mexico. Well, they suing for that too. School tuition. They argued back in December that you should be able to take our tax money and give it to private religious schools. There's an establishment clause in the United States Constitution, but that don't mean nothing. Do you know what it means? It means I can count. I got six, you got three. I don't care if one of them's names can tanji. They got, oh man, this latest one, huh, they had a web designer. This was this week. I want to say it was this week. Is it this week or last week. The Supreme Court agreed to sit. They got a guy in Colorado. Remember uh, Hobby Lobby where the guy didn't want to make the cake for the gay couple. They got a web designer now says, "I'm not giving services to same sex marriages. So I ain't posting nothing on my way. Web- I'm not going to help you build a website announcing your your wedding."
0: I think Hobby Lobby was birth control to employees. Was that there was a there was a cake? There You're was right. another case with the cake that was right. a different. Word. That's right. That's exactly right.
1: I couldn't read. That's 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 exactly right. What binds all those cases together, thank you, thank you, President. What binds all those cases together is the First Amendment. That was John Roberts' tactic. First Amendment is how he got uh, Citizens United, you know, on the speech decided. But now they're going after, you know, religion and all that. But I'm saying all that in terms of Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Well, she'll get confirmed. She'll be on the court. It'll still be 6-3. Uh, and, you know, I got into a whole back and forth with my friend Jerry Ball and them and folks at Black Power Media about whether we should vote or not. I'm very clear. Yeah, we should vote. Why? because in 2022, in 2022, this year, if the White Nationalist Party takes over the federal legislature and then takes the White House, you can forget about any more judges. And if you think Handmaid's Tale was just fiction, they got a handmaid on the court now. Her name is Amy Comey Barrett. And I'm thinking that the next person, just like everybody in the legal community, court watchers kind of thought it was going to be Kentaji Brown Jackson. And we've been saying that for a very long time. Well, I would think that the next person to come off the court going to be that white-haired Clarence Thomas. And guess what? Then it's no longer 6-3, it's 5-4, and John Roberts, who calls himself an institutionalist, is terrified. You can see it in his recent decisions. Because, yeah, you realize what you've done, done now, because you're attacking sovereignty. And see, the thing about sovereignty is you have to have consent. And once people realize you push them beyond the boundaries, then they might push back. So, the point I'm trying to make is this. The laws, the laws are what allow people to have Sovereignty, but only as long as there's legitimacy in authority. That's why I want to mention. I want to get that Kentaji Brown Jackson in. So let's let's wind this up. So again, to recap, just in terms of what we're seeing, 1648, Westphalia, they moved the idea, and they meaning Western Eurasia, what we call Europe. They formed this. They use the concept of sovereignty to say the sovereign authority doesn't come from God; it comes from the consent of the governed, from the state. And you ask yourself, well, the consent of the governed, does that mean? that we all agreed for this. No. What it means is that we create a system where it's a republic, they're republics, which i call a democracy. Nah, it means you consent to let somebody else make the rules for you until they get too far beyond what you want, at which point you can replace them. That's the, that's what happens in theory. But of course, apathy, coercion, despair, Means that increasingly you stop participating in the process, and if it gets too bad, you may get in the street. That's the civil rights movement, that's all those anti war movement. So, anyway, what we're living in right now is at the end cycle, as far as I'm concerned, and a lot of other people are concerned. We're looking at the end of that cycle of European empire because during that period, once they've agreed to squash at least squash enough beets, beefs, well, nothing John Rick Clark said europe drained its sores on the western hemisphere so we're not going to beef up here now sweden didn't agree that sweden had no real colonies you know russia didn't agree that's why you see them beefing in the 18th century but while they're doing that the center of empire moves from lisbon portugal and seville spain to Paris, France. Then they had a French Revolution. Russell writes about that. The French Revolution introduces the second part of the equation. Remember I said state and nation, nation state? The French Revolution asserts that we have a common culture. Liberté, équalité, fraternité. The French people, The the French who have been invaded by the Gauls before. I'm sorry, the Gauls who have been invaded by the Franks. That's why they call it France. But this is before. This is before you get this whole notion of squashing these sovereign uh, state beasts with this whole notion of the source of authority. The French Revolution, which is why they worship it so much. The French Revolution argues that there are national identities and the French people exist as a people. The French believe that to this day. You got uh, Macron running around last couple of days. uh, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, wants to reestablish the age of empire. Dude, you know how many African presidents you took out? Do you know, you, you, we just, they just put your ass out of Mali? You ain't nothing but an empire builder, you punk. Why the Haitians kept paying y'all money? Get out of here, Macron. Well, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that because most people who don't know the history think, well, it's good. He said, he's right, he's right. Y'all better stop watching white and commercial media because in some stories, it ain't no good guys. Macron ain't no good guy. Ask anybody who been under the, the boot of, of France either in Africa, in the Caribbean, or in the streets of Paris. Everybody who they call not an immigrant, not French, because French culture. Going back to the Haitian Revolution. I'm sorry, to the French Revolution. I got ahead of myself, because there are three revolutions that take place during that period. One is the French Revolution elevating the concept of of the nation. Another is Great Britain about to lose its 13 colonies in North America and retreat to Canada, or leave North America altogether. That would be called a so-called American Revolution. And the one that concerns us most is when the Haitians, the Yoruba and the Igbo and the Congo and all them different people who have now beaten themselves into a concept of Blackness called Haitian and put together a way of knowing in Vodun that will build a national identity. When they hear what their Uh, oppressors and tormentors in France are doing, they say us too. That's what we went over when we talk talking about C.L.R. James, the black Jacobins. They say, okay, us too. And we got our own culture. And the French is like, no, we don't mean you. We're going to put you down. And the the Haitians was like, here, come, let's dance. So now y'all got Toussaint, because Toussaint thought y'all actually meant what you said. When he died in prison, Jean-Jacques Dessalines was like, yeah, yeah, come on you that won't happen again and you've been punishing Haiti ever since so don't y'all fix y'all now start talking about Putin and what he did and didn't do y'all got more blood in your hands than Vladimir Putin could have if he killed everybody in Ukraine we hope nobody else loses their life so the power goes from as I said Lisbon Seville shifts for a moment to, to Paris for a while the Dutch try to hone in on it but they ain't got no people to run the game just like the Swedes didn't have enough people to maintain their huge empire in northern Europe and then the villains of the peace jump in England. And the power moves to London, where it stays for a long time, arguably throughout the 19th century, into the first quarter of the 20th century, when what happens? Hey, cut us in or cut it out. Who? Russia? Shit. Hey, man, what are we going to do with them? They got an army. They got a hold out. They're the biggest-ass country. And they got millions of people. Man. They overthrew the czar? Wait, what is this? What is this communist socialism? What? Who is V.I. Lenin, man? I mean, Marx, yeah, we read Marx. Marx lived in London, he lived down the street. He wrote that book in the uh, British. Wait, wait, they got guns. Guess who else wants to be cut in? Where they had a meeting in Westphalia? Where they had a meeting in Berlin? The Germans. Gil Scott Heron using ebonics, what he called A ghetto code. Dot dot did it. Dot dot dash means damned if I know. In his song, dot dot did it. Dot dot dash. He said. It's looking like Europe in 38. Did they move to stop Hitler before it was too late? Dot, dot, did it, dot, dot, dash. Now, some of y'all who are slaves to the National Football League, watching football games, you know when the quarterback makes a call and the defensive line rushes him. They call that the Blitz. That's because of Blitzkrieg, lightning war. That's when Hitler rolled into Czechoslovakia in 38. And guess who let him do it? other states. Russell says sovereignty requires either recognition by the other states or inaction. They didn't act. Gil says it's looking like Europe in 38 that they moved to stop Hitler before it was too late. That dot, dot, did it, dot, dot, dash, damned if I know they didn't stop him. Guess what you get? World War II. I'm sorry, what happened with World War I? They had a World War... Yeah! Go back to World War I! Because in World War I, what did the Germans say? time for us to make some moves, baby, restore ourselves to our former greatness with that old hyper-nationalist, ultra-nationalist BS. And so what happens? They make their move, and they're beaten back. Got us caught up in the Western Hemisphere, and us meaning Black people, over there, over there, the Battle of Henry Johnson from Albany, New York, We took out so many Germans by itself, man, won the, the, the highest medals in France. The United States is like, we ain't giving that Eventually they did, but the whole point is this: the 369th out of uh, Chicago, out of uh, New York, uh, with the 369th band, James Reese Europe. The 370th, the old 8th Illinois, out of Chicago, we went overseas and did everything we could to stop the thing. Because guess what? We know y'all racist as hell, and Josh Hawley, and and and, and 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 Mitch McConnell, and all of them. Their intellectual, cultural, social grandparents, great-grandparents, when Black people came back from winning that war, tried to lynch us in our uniforms. 1919, so many people fighting and dying, they called it the Red Summer, James Welling Johnson said. So when the thing ramped up again after Hitler, who made them sign a treaty... In Paris, in the same railroad car where the Germans signed the Treaty of Versailles surrender, Hitler made them come back in there and agree to this non-aggression stuff with a mind in his mind that he was going to take over all of Europe and whatever else he could do to restore Germany from its humiliation in World War I. We see what Putin is because we've been watching this whole shit go down. When, when that happened, Black people met in Paris at the first Pan-African Congress, Du Bois and them, saying, yeah. We need y'all to get out of Africa, but maybe before you get out, we need you to manage perhaps us so we can learn how to run these countries that you made up. That sounds disturbingly like uh, what Ambassador Kamani was saying. I mean, it's terrible because the black elites don't always get it. Some of this stuff is going to have to be done by breaking the contract with Europe. Anyway, let me wind this to a close. So after World War II, guess what? Europe has punched itself out. Moscow wants to be the next center. Go further east, because they got a border with them, China. It's like, yeah, we, had a, we got a stake in this too. We didn't like Japan anyway. Because they tried to take us over. Imagine Japan taking over China. Well, there was a time. we got to go back and look at that. In fact, Japan was like, shit, we're going to take over everybody. Go back to the late 19th century when the Japanese defeated the Russians. That's a whole nother conversation. In fact, you read Gerald's book, Gerald Horn's book, Race War. He'll walk you through that. All this stuff is going on. But what happens after World War II? All of those places that were former colonies, they see their chance to break through. They have a fifth Pan-African Congress in Manchester, England. The Africans get together. Ten years later, in 1955, they meet in Indonesia. I was talking with my students on Thursday about this. One of our, one of my students, I love it when you have Black students together in the same room. Because one of those uh, young people unmuted herself and said, I was in Indonesia. I've been to the museum where they talk about the Afro-Asian Conference and the non-aligned conference, which gave me a chance to reach back here and pull this book, We all know the novelist Richard Wright, the writer Richard Wright. Most of us know him for Native Son. A lot of people don't know that in 1956, he wrote a book about that conference called The Color Curtain, a report on the Bandung Conference. Now, you might not agree with everything he says about it, but you see here a map on the cover there's Bandung, Indonesia. You see above. You see. You see Asia. You see India. You see the Saudi Peninsula. You will then go up above that. And you'll see Russia. You'll see China. You'll see the Ukraine if you look hard enough. But the point is this: after World War II these people who were oppressed by the wild west of Asia, known as Europe, that created this system of states, then tried to bind it with national identities, then went and declared unilateral declaration of war on Africa, pulled all our labor out. And meanwhile, as French said, Africa never developed the kind of nation-state concept, and who knows whether they would or wouldn't have. I suspect they wouldn't have, not in the same form, because the sources of sovereignty in Africa were based on community, based on family. If they were large, they were also based on empire. Some of those empires were almost rough theocracies. By the time you get to Songhai, but they are in they are networks. There were invasions. Look at the Malverids. You, I mean, there, there was all kind of fighting, but there was also the idea of because the, the Africa is so vast. If you got beef with somebody, you just keep moving. And there were different forms of dispute resolution. If you read George Atier's uh, book on African indigenous um, uh, institutions, or if you read Chancellor Williams, the destruction of black civilization, where he writes about the African constitution. What he's saying is I'm looking for answers to the question of what would we have done if we hadn't had this European concept of nation state imposed on us. But in the Western hemisphere, there's a bigger problem. Why? You just imposed a concept of nation state through colonies on indigenous people who didn't look at it that way, beginning with a concept of property, private property. the Danae said, how did the queen get sovereignty over us? Why? Because we never looked at land as something you could own. This broad put her foot on the ground and said, everything I see belongs to me. We're like, okay. And then she said, through her representatives, Uh, But of course, y'all can keep hunting and do whatever you want. Okay. And then, what? She said they wrote it down, and they never translated it into our language. So we just assumed everything was cool. Till I went over there to hunt, and they put up a fence. I was like, and then they pointed something at me, and some smoke came out, and my shit started burning. Then I died. What the hell? It's a gun. What the hell? Sovereignty. Force. But guess what? You can't keep, you can't shoot everybody. Oh, pause. Yes, you can. Nuclear weapons. This is why it's all our concern. To conclude, after World War II, the colonies figure out ways, this is our chance to break. Africa, Asia, Caribbean, Latin America, Central America. But you know, white empires is a jealous empire. Philip A. G. write about it in the CIA in Latin America. There's another book called Dirty Work 2 where they talk about all the people they undermine. Uh, uh, Susan Williams, White Malice, CIA in Africa. All over. They're going to poison people. They're going to have coup d'etats. Hell, they're still doing it. Look at Venezuela. They're still doing it. Look at Mali. They're still doing it, Burkina Faso. They're still doing it every other year, it seems like, in places like Côte d'Ivoire or wherever you want to talk about. They're still doing it. Picking sides, picking winners and losers because after World War II, you got to contain the Russians. Cold War. Russians and the Chinese got some... They make a deal. You know? But then Richard Nixon says, i got to peel the Chinese off from from the Russians. So while they're negotiating arms deals for no more nuclear proliferation and still making bombs, he goes to China. Remember? He, dummy, at least if you think like an American, I don't care, it's funny to me. You basically help them get up to speed and they use that in part to help restock their vision. Because remember, Chinese Chinese is not just, you talk about nation state? Yeah, China's a lot closer to a nation state than England. Certainly than any other country in the Western Hemisphere where you had a settler colony. Why? Because China sees itself as a civilization as well. And after World War II, the United States, now the center of financial power, political power, is going to move to Washington and New York from London. London is still in the orbit, but beat up. And, it lost, and it's lost its colonies. United States has picked up a few cheap bargains in the late 19th century, continues to expand. That would be the Philippines. That would be Guam. That would be an attempted Cuba couple. Now they still got Guantanamo Bay. But in other words, their hemispheres thing, and they don't want nobody in the hemisphere that's going to bother them. Guess who tried to sneak over across the water and catch up after several hundred years and not having no colonies? Well, uh, the Russians was like, hey, hey, Fidel, let me put a couple of bombs over there, man. man. Fidel's like, okay. John Kennedy's like, hey, man on the brink of nuclear war. And we up in this country talking about we, we, the only we is if the bomb blow up, it don't know the difference between anybody, so we all gonna die. But y'all quit caping, like, yeah, sometimes you gotta cape for somebody to stop nuclear war, but there is no national we. Because that same Kennedy that got through the Cuban missile crisis was the one who, I'm looking at the book over there, by Bryant, called The Bystander on Civil Rights. He gonna do whatever, like, Lincoln was to keep the union together. So, The United States has a good run. United States run lasts from, you know, the end of the civil, uh, civil, the end of uh, World War II. They start the United Nations in San Francisco. They're going to put together a framework, try to manage this in terms of sovereignty so you can get the consent of people and pretend like everybody voted like you do at the UN Security Council. The Kenyan ambassador was in there because they got one of the rotating seats. But everybody know that the only people hold weight is the people with the bomb which is why China's abstention and India's abstention wrecked y'all plan. You can't bang, bang, bang against the Russians. Because guess what? When you came up here, uh, the new uh, the new ancestor Colin Powell, shaking that vial of chalk, talking about Saddam Hussein got it, that bullshit. But you had the muscle to make everybody line up and vote for you. And you invaded Iraq, even as they were trying to negotiate for you not to. And they was like, them Kuwaitis has got drills coming sideways, taking our oil. You didn't give a damn because you wanted Iraq anyway. Y'all stop watching the news as if that's, that's like WWF wrestling. In some stories, it ain't no good guys. It's not good and evil. Or if they're good guys and bad guys. They're operating on a much different level than political figures. And whether Putin is insane or whether or not, no, you got to look at the real interests, which include in this moment following the money. So anyway, the United States had a good run. But that run begins to unravel as early as the 1970s, the energy crisis. You know, when the United States invades somebody, it's usually something that they won't, don't want to pay for. Another thing, John Clark said, these people had. He said Africa had many things that people wanted and didn't want to pay for. So you look at the oil-producing communities, OPEC. Gil Scott-Heron again. Gil Scott-Heron said in his uh, song "B Movie," the Arabs have bought the first world, uh, bought the third world, and have put a firm down payment on. No, he said they have bought the second world, and put a firm down payment on the first. Because guess what? You ain't say nothing to Vladimir Putin or anybody else when they're or backing uh, opposing forces in other places like Africa. What happened on the Saudi Peninsula? Y'all talking about guess who else abstained at the U.N. Security Council? China, India, UAE. I thought them was your friends. I thought that's why y'all looked the other way when they was over there committing all them atrocities in Yemen and all this uh, U.S. government. What the hell? Oh, yeah, well, we don't care who you kill as long as the resources keep flowing. They mad at Putin. It's a tr- it's an atrocity. It is an atrocity. This needs to stop. The guy is crazy. His interests are crazy. Hopefully, they're going to do something in Russia to stop this internally as the world turns the other way. But make no mistakes about it. You'd be cool with it if he wasn't messing up your money. Let's be clear, because there's a precedent for it. It's called what? The last 500 years. So, By the time the United States gets to now, it don't even hold weight like that no more. And those white nationalists who look like just domestic white nationalists, I'm against CRT. look like domestic white nationalists. You're tearing up our country. I'm taking our country back. Those politicians that these fools are lining up for and giving their consent to the sovereignty they are not doing this to win elections to govern on behalf of the people who are voting for them. They're doing this to maintain the order. And Putin is about to mess up everybody's money in that old order. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens next. We have to, it seems to me, and I'll, I'll, end, with, I'll end with this because this is where Russell ends his book, Sovereignty. Russell says the, 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 uh, the, the problems we face as a species now cannot be solved by individual nation states. They can't be be solved in the current framework of sovereignty. They certainly can't be solved with countries like the United States leading where, because it's not a nation, but a state with many different nations in it, it it continues in its political apparatus, particularly for the white nationalists, to foment racial fear cultural division as a main as a way to maintain power not recognizing that when the ozone completely burns off just like COVID 19 don't recognize race the sun don't recognize who it's cooking it's gonna cook us all so russell says the only hope we have and i'll end with this he doesn't quote this guy but i'm gonna quote him and end with well in fact, let me let me do let me do two quotes. The first quote I'll mention is from a book I don't have in hand. The second quote I'll mention is from the book that we are going to read, start reading not this Monday but the Monday after. This Monday by the way, if you go, Yureis has put on the reading if you're in Nubia from Waden Shemsu just a few pages from the end of this book, how do people work collectively? We're modeling it in Nubia. So we're going to take this week as a bit of a palate cleanser after Souls of Black Folk. And before, where do we go from here to consider collective work? We're already doing it, but he writes about it in beautiful prose. Anyway, and if you're not in Nubia, you're not in narrative, y'all better come on. Because you see now, sovereignty, we build in sovereign space. And that's sovereign in the limited European sense. Sovereign in the sense of we move together with the consent of everyone. It's a true form of collective work. I'm not going to say democracy, because what people call democracy never was democracy. Go look at the history of Greece. But at any rate, the first quote I will read, um, first thing I'll mention is Jonathan Schell's book, The Unconquerable World, the late Jonathan Schell ancestor. He said there are two powers in the modern world it's about 20 years ago. He said one is nuclear weapons. One is nuclear weapons. Like Cosby said, uh, di- uh, language is a dialect with an army and a navy. Like the sister told uh, Peter Russell, the Donna sister, Danae sister told, her, yeah, sovereignty is magic and an army and a navy. Well, the ability to threaten somebody in this world right now, since they're all in bed economically and have no problem with that as long as the resources keep flowing. The force element is the weapons, nuclear weapons. But Shell says the other power in the world is the people of the world. So rather than put labels on conflicts, we need to say, did that baby get hurt? Did that old lady get bombed? In fact, did anybody get concrete falling on them in Kiev? This is a crime against humanity. That's the first thing. So it all needs to stop. War is not the answer. And I will protest against war. We will move against war. And you ain't got the muscle that you had in the fifties when you took Du past passport and Paul Robeson and Essie Robeson and, and all them. And you had them hauling Jackie Robinson and them before the House Un-American Activities Committee and Langston Hughes before the committee and trying to, and Bobby Kennedy, you on the damn Senate committee as a lawyer. There ain't no good guys in this. But what y'all gonna stop doing is wielding this trap lie of nation state and sovereignty to keep us silent. You're criminal. You're damn criminal. And if we can get a few more Kentaji Brown Jacksons, maybe we can make that law that you don't respect stand up and mean something. But if we can't, we're not going to just say, okay, you win. Them days is over, bruh. And you ain't even got the muscle like that. And I'll end with Martin King. Martin King, chapter seven, The World House. These are the words of Martin Luther King. Written before, of course, he made transition and published after he was taken out. Because he came against the Vietnam War one year to the day. Before he was assassinated, April 4th, 1967, Riverside Church, Why I Oppose the War in Vietnam. Dr. King said in his last in the chapter called The World House, the penultimate chapter, chapter seven of an eight-chapter book, Where Do We Go From Here, which we will begin one week from this coming Monday. And I think we got an anniversary coming up, Professor. And I know you're going to talk about that in a second. He says, Some years ago, a famous novelist died. Among his papers was found a list of suggested plots for future stories. The most prominently underscored being this one, quote, a widely separated family inherits a house in which they have to live together, end quote. This is the great new problem of mankind. We have inhabited a large house, a great, quote, world house, end quote, in which we have to live together, black and white, eastern and westerner, Gentile and Jew, Catholic and Protestant, Muslim and Hindu, a family un duly separated in ideas, culture, and interest, who, because we can never again live apart, must learn somehow to live with each other in peace. Finally, Dr. King says, however deeply American Negroes are caught in the struggle to be at last at home in our homeland of the United States, we cannot ignore the larger world house in which we are also dwellers. Equality with whites will not solve the problems of either whites or Negroes, footnote, diversity, equity, inclusion people. If it means equality in a world, society stricken by poverty and in a universe doomed to extinction by war. That's why Ukraine matters, Mm. (laughs) y'all. Stop with that. You Now, you, you mentioned something about a Russian tennis star. That, wait, you got somebody on the world stage now protesting?
0: No, I mean, you saw the picture of the Russians uh, protesting. It was vast number of Russians protesting in Russia, which is extremely dangerous. Russia. Uh, tells you something. Tells you, it's, like, it's almost like an Arab Spring going on there. And then uh, during a tennis match in Dubai, uh, the gentleman who made it to the quarterfinals, Andrei Robrev, uh, he wrote on the camera. He wrote on it, no war, please. And My then God. there's another Russian tennis star. Uh th- you're you're right. This could turn into the Vietnam really quickly. At that point, if this man is truly unhinged and we're talking about Putin, who knows what he may do. And that's the only thing. And, you know, there's a wild card there because he's one of the wealthiest people in the world who could get the hell up out of here or have a bunker somewhere, uh, for whom, you know, pushing a button. Ain't no know. thing. So that's well, then, yeah.
1: then the question becomes who would not follow the order. See, this is mm. what the King is saying. Human beings are human beings. I, you gotta believe, this is why, and if some of y'all, look, we know y'all be monitoring us. If y'all watching somewhere, in fact, when I'm looking at Terrell, I'm saying, bro, I hope they don't cut off your internet access. Cause he's literally, I'm saying, hey, y'all do the right thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? As Ozzy Davis saying in the movie, always do the right thing. Don't listen to that madman if he tell you to push that button. Because nobody survives a nuclear conflict. Oh. No,
0: and mm. then maybe that you know scorched earth you know is is the way some people operate. You know, Europe is scorched. Earth. If That's I can't have, it, no one can. That's right. You know, I've seen that uh, today, ten years ago, uh, a young boy, young man, he's a boy, uh, was going to the store to get some skittles and a drink. Uh, coming back oh. home to watch some NBA, mm-hmm. and didn't make it home. Uh, was accosted by a nationalist with the last name of Zimmerman uh, who killed him. His name Mm -hmm. was Trayvon Martin 10 years, 10 years ago. Uh, I just want to spend a moment, you know, to acknowledge that young boy who loved flying planes. Shout out to Barrington, uh, who who was one of the, uh, uh, he was a pilot who was teaching Trayvon how to fly planes and to his mama, who will never give up. Uh, the fight uh, to keep her son's name and what happened to him and all of our psyche. So I'm going to do my part. And she's even run for office uh, in Florida. So shout out to her as well. And this past week, three police officers, three cops who uh, aided and abetted in the murder of George Floyd were convicted. Um, Angie Porter didn't think it would happen. She wasn't sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's not a victory. It's not justice because George Floyd is still dead. But it does speak right. to something. Uh, you know, Kim Potter, Derek Chauvin, now these three in Minnesota all convicted. And, you know, perhaps, I don't know, perhaps the message will get uh, out there that you just can't do this with impunity without consequences. So
1: I hope that Did you see a story in Pensacola where them cops dropped that baby? A one year old oh, boy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, not nah. right. and, and arresting his father erroneously, right? You know? And it's, it's like the no-knock warrant, brother sleeping on the couch, you know. It's like there's no there's no protection. This is after the fact, everybody's dead that we're talking about right now. My we god, we need to not be dead, you know, and right. and and over over indexing on humanity has to be the call for all of us. We should all there you care go. There you go. Well, I like, that. Life, I like period. that
1: over-indexing on humanity. That's right, that's it. That's it. Wow. Well, that's beautiful. We have to. What's the
0: alternative? Following, you know, yeah, let's stop following the, the European model or the co- colonization model of, of just like, let's kill everyone. Let's follow the African model of even in war, we're going to leave our opponent with a seed to be able to build again. That's the Awari um, that's mentality, right. which we're, I'm looking forward to playing some Awari in a couple of weeks when I see you at the conference, because we got... Yeah, the conference everybody I, I i went to you know purchase from ghana a worry boys for everyone so you're going to get yours as well hand car hey, hey, hey. yeah yeah yes 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 and tomorrow is our uh one year anniversary of the launch of narrative which was uh formed in the minds of me kareem and then carl brought your reyes and then we launched that uh it'll be tomorrow one year so thank everybody that came with a brick not knowing what the hell this was going to even be but you showed up and uh Since then, I think it's evolved into something I couldn't even imagine. I'm just so grateful to to be in this space. And we've only just begun. (laughs) (laughs) We just
1: getting started, y'all.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Tomorrow, tomorrow, Senyata. I don't know what she's bringing. Last week, she brought Rock Nelson, the 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 great chef. God, that was. I was like.
1: You talk about me, <laughs> or we talk about you, but see y'all to know the best people. See y'all to got them people like, gonna make you live hundred years and feel good for every one of the oh days of the hundred years.
0: <laughs> and, and Rock was already rolling with us. See what I did? Mm-hmm. Rock? Already, you know, he's already a member of Nubia, so he was so excited to be in here. So he shouts out, "You, Doctor Car says yeah, hello, bro, no question, uh, no question." And then uh, Monday we got office hours. I'm gonna be pitching it because your has got a wrestling final. Uh, hopefully he'll win. Uh come you know on, bro. I mean?
1: Yeah, come oh. on. Hey, what uh, happened to them? To them, Baylor people.
0: Gene, uh, them won an award. Oh yes. Oh, oh, Gene Baylor and Marcus oh, Baylor. No. The yes. Best. They uh, congratulations to them, family. Uh, NAACP Image Award to the they Baylor. They got it right. See, they honored yes.
1: themselves. <laughs>
0: yeah, but I'm not so sure of the Nubians, because you know we got the vote. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and when Gene okay. came in. And sang that song a couple of Saturdays ago. Come on. No yeah. question. We, we went on that website and, and pressed yes, them. Yes, And that's, them. What
1: you, that's what you got to do. Because, I mean, look, yeah. in terms of sovereignty, the people are the sovereign. As 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 August Wilson said when he came to Harry, got that honorary degree just before he passed, he said, Honoring me, you honor the best in yourselves. In other words, he wasn't saying that from ego. In honoring them, MBCP honored the best in our people. And that's the kind of thing where I say, "Yeah, congratulations," because that award is giving legitimacy to the MLCP. The Baylor's already got the Baylor Project got got legitimacy, and I guess we showed them. That's
0: all right. <laughs> and you know, and again, I can't thank you enough, Dr. Carr, because the 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 breadcrumbs and the the sparking of of, of where we're going. I mean, I'm yeah. just overwhelmed. And I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry about today because the Ukraine is a difficult region we didn't get oh, into this
0: no we needed that history i'm sitting here with pages of notes <laughs> no. you know there's so many experts right now which is so frustrating even of course. I, you know, I was in class yesterday and my, my students like where do we go to find information and i'm like i can't really direct you you know i'm following throughout <laughs> because he's in the streets and i know him right. but you know the real knowledge you got to go back and I was like let's get the map so i did what you did let's get yeah. the map out and let's because you got to have perspective like where is ukraine where's russia what's around it and then let's go back in history was ukraine free before was it free you know how long has it been free 31 years but then before that it was free for thousands of years so and like people how would even you think know?
1: about that that's right yeah
0: so so you give us the breath and and the mm-hmm. information to be able to process what where we in where we're in right now from mm-hmm. not from emotion not from what i heard on tiktok but from, you know, a sober mind. And then at the, at the end of this, it could all not matter. So I, I was just right, that.
1: no, no, really. We went all the way around today, for two and a half hours to get to the point that you raised so beautifully and eloquent to end. We got to over index on humanity. That's it. Yeah. I mean, don't, don't get caught up in other people's cosplay and, 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 and be tactical, be smart. So Joe Biden is not anybody's friend. You got to force him. He won an election in part by saying, if I'm elected, I'm going to appoint a black woman on the Supreme Court. That might seem like a small thing, but if Hillary Clinton had said it, I suspect she'd been president of the United States because it overmatched him. I don't know. Maybe not. But I tell you, and I don't mean it isn't complex because I know that there's a brother, the senior uh, leader of the congressional delegation of South Carolina who mad because he got slapped around for the second time. that would be
0: oh, because there was a South Carolinian option, yeah.
1: Okay. A field, a, a kind of a kind of field, yeah. Negro. Yes. Yeah, oh, you know, okay. I mean, Jim Clyburn, Jim Clyburn is being treated the way they treat you. In other words, here's what they think about you. Remember when Ice Cube did that in No Vaseline? I mean, Jim, you know, you wanted Michelle Childs, and I thought Childs would be a good pick too, because she was as close as gonna get to a field Negro. But they got another Ivy Leaguer, and what cracks me up is Lindsey Graham, and them talking about the Ivy League on it. Well, you got Ivy League hillbillies in the Senate, brother. Just like your friend Josh Hawley and, and Kennedy with them cosplay country accents came out of Yale and Harvard. And what does it tell you when they can get degrees or Terry Crew can get a degree from the Ivy League? It tells you the Ivy League is exactly what y'all thought it was. Nothing. This is the ivy league. <laughs> you understand? This, no, no, no. I'm sorry. This is the Lotus League. We go back to the Egyptian plant. Let that ivy stay where it is. That tough, inedible, whatever that is, poison ivy. Let that stay up there. We the Lotus League. So all I the harvest, you know, you know,
0: all hey, the Harvard hey, uraeus. uraeus we got something. Not just like <laughs> lotus all right. Leads, hey, We
1: the I lotus love league. Right. It. Yeah, we gonna, because you know, because what that means, of course, is sovereignty. And this is actually, I should have said this too. When we talk talking about Ebonics, even though it looked like a digression, Robert Williams and the women and men who coined the term Ebonics were not thinking in terms of those artificial state boundaries. That's why the people doing the Oxford uh, Companion to African-American Language. You see the difference there? When you say African-American language, you are studying us within the confines of those walls. What Williams and them was saying is, no, no, we are a nation. We weren't a nation before, Howard French walks us through, but the circumstances made us see each other as collective. And so while we're over-indexing on, on, our, on our common humanity, regardless of where you're from, I love the way you put that, we also have to over-index on our African humanity. We know that in Nubia, we're together, but that's why they said Ebonics. And they're going to call this Black English, because if you Puerto Rican, you speak a version. If you're Brazilian, you speak a version. And so... That is very important as a statement on the nature of sovereignty. See, sovereignty, as, 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 as Professor Russell is saying, sovereignty is a, has a potential for good because, it, because we gotta live with some rules. The question is, are the rules just? Are they equitable? Do they help all of humanity and the world and the globe? Or are they reserved for certain people who have seen themselves as better? and have told lies to the people who are with them to say, my language is better, my culture is better. I kind of cringe when I heard Judge uh, Brown Jackson, which I believe she believes that, and I know she's saying it, because she think you know, I'm, first thing, I'm very happy uh, to have been born in the greatest country. Ugh, here we go, that greatest country. I mean, this ain't the greatest country. You know what?
0: She gotta the, get confirmed, Dr. Carr. I know, yeah. it, and
1: that's why I, I cringe, because I know that, you know, but then, on, on the other side, I, like I said, my friends who were saying, you know, electoral politics is a dead end, both parties are the same. Of course, that's absurd on his face, but we ain't going to get into that. On the other side, my response to that is, to quote Donald Rumsfeld, which I enjoy doing from time to time to make people mad, remember during the Iraq, illegal Iraq invasion when he got up on the press conference thinking he's smart and everybody said, you don't go to war with the army you wish you had, you go to war with the army you have. Well, the same thing is true in electoral politics. <laughs> if we're going to have an army that overwhelms, let's build that army. But while we're building it, we're in the middle of a fight. And if we're in the middle of a fight where real people are dying, we pray for the safety of our brother Terrell Starr and every human being right now in the Ukraine. I don't care what side they're on because Vladimir Putin's not fighting. If you're a soldier in the Russian army, this man has sent you all over there to die. There's a picture of um, oh my God. I I hesitate to show it, but I'm going to, if I can find it quickly. Yeah. It's the front page of today's New York Times. That's a Russian soldier under that snow.
0: Mm.
1: Nobody should be dying, y'all. This is why Marvin Gaye and the brother who co-wrote with him, he said, We were in San Francisco looking out the window, and we saw those young people out there. And the brother said, When I saw them cops beat up those white kids, something's different. And they sat down and write and wrote what's going on. You know, everybody thinks we're wrong. Who are they to judge us simply because our hair is long. In other words, the sovereign—you don't get to—you don't get the right. Sovereignty is supposed to come from the people. Russell says that's only theoretical. Because guess what? Everybody didn't agree to what you're doing. But if enough of us say no, they'll stop. Because that's the power. That's why you got to organize and you got to use every weapon. Don't don't quit the battlefield. We're in the middle of something, and somebody gonna die today. Somebody died while we having this conversation. It's it's gotta stop. got to stop.
0: it has Got to. And on that note, uh, the hello and goodbye, uh, Ancient Kemet, Ankh Uja Seneb, Dr. Carr. Love you.
1: Ankh Uja Seneb, all Ankh, life, all Uja, what's Uja?
0: Prosperity. Yeah,
1: prosperity. And Seneb,
0: health. 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 All right.
1: So we're going to learn about our Seneb tomorrow with Sister Amin, and then we're going to see each other in a couple of weeks. it's beautiful, isn't it? And what a greeting! What a greeting! And what a departure! You want? Yes.
0: <laughs> Love you. Love you too. See you on Monday. See you uh, in the Nubian streets on Nubian Sunday and Tuesday. God bless. You.